Oh, I really liked I Feel Pretty. Mm. Really? Yeah. No, no, no. You have it ranked <laughs> higher than Crazy Rich that... Asians? I do. Okay. And Sorry to Bother You? Oh, my gosh. I really liked it. I really liked and it. And Roma? And oh, my Roma. goodness. Sandra. I'm telling you, Sandra. I really liked it. Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime. Hold your ears. Oh, here we go. See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy all right, hello and welcome. We are halfway through January, but we are taking a step back. We are going to talk about our top 10 movies of 2018. So let's introduce ourselves and let's answer the question, what 2018 movie are you sad that you still haven't gotten to yet? I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm really bummed that I didn't get a chance to see We the Animals. I love Raul Castillo. He's uh, you know someone I really admire and Um, I'm also bummed I didn't get to see The Miseducation of Cameron Post. Um, Those are two movies that I just didn't make it in time for. Mm. I'm Lucas Wright, a designer from Chicago. And the one movie I would say that I'm the most disappointed I didn't get to see was Free Solo. Um, It left theaters here and it hasn't been on streaming anywhere. So it just, it disappeared from from my ability to see it. So you got to see it though, right, Sandra? I did, yeah. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, it comes onto iTunes in March. Ugh. We're, I know. I, I, I will definitely be watching that movie. <laughs> um, well, this week we also have a guest with us. We have um, Ben Weaver, a filmmaker from Austin. Introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. I'm Ben Weaver. Uh, I'm a filmmaker in Austin, Texas. Uh, happy to be back on the pod. And mm-hmm. some of the movies that I am really bummed I haven't seen yet, uh, some are noteworthy. Some are a little bit under the radar. One specifically is The Favorite I haven't gotten to see it yet, Ooh. and I know, I know, it's on all of the lists. The performances are incredible. I'm really bummed. I'm gonna make sure that I catch it before uh, the Oscars. Uh, and the other one I haven't seen is uh, Madeline's Madeline. Um, I've been hearing uh, some crazy yes. stuff about that movie, and uh, just that it plays with the form and that it's weird as hell. So I'm really excited to catch that one. Ben, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about Madeline's Madeline. Yeah. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Um, Well, this week we are going to be walking through all three of our top 10 movies of 2018. Um, Sandra, do you want to tell us why exactly we've waited so long to do this episode? Here is my theory about watching (laughs) films, um, especially when you don't live in places like L.A. or New York. So many movies that are that come out the end of December in LA and New York do not come out in other cities until January. So True. I don't think it's very fair to make a top 10 list at the end of December when you don't live in LA or New York because there's a plethora of movies that you don't even get to include because they're not made available to you. So, so true. I believe that it's important to give yourself the month of January to let everything come out in theaters and to give yourself a little a week or two to catch up. Um, especially because most of the, the good movies of 2019 don't start coming out until February. So for me, the film watching year begins in February, ends in January. I think that's a great way to think about it. It also allows us to, like, when, when you're listening to our lists, most of these movies are available to you somewhere, which is really fun. Except if Free Solo ends up on somebody's list. It's available to no one anywhere <laughs> right. um, until March. So <laughs> Yes. 
So I'm going to be leading us in our countdown of top 10 films, and I'm going to start us off. So um, my number 10 movie of the year is Searching. So who did either of y'all see Searching? I know you did, Lucas. Yes. Ben, did you get a chance to? Not yet. I really wanted to. Yeah. Searching, uh, Lucas and I did a great review of Searching. We both really found it fascinating and innovative and innovation is a big theme in my top 10 list this year you know different years some are about like things that move me some about movies that I want to rewatch. this year what I've been really drawn to are things that I've never seen before and searching is one of the best examples of that I've never seen a movie pull off what searching did by having an entire film take place on computer screens um in addition to like that gimmick, um, which is expertly handled in my opinion and expertly directed, I think the story is so compelling. Um, I find like parental relationships and like the dread and anxiety of being a parent to be really interesting. And I think John Cho handled that theme so well in this movie. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what Searching's about, it's about a parent who's teenage daughter goes missing and he uses her computer to find out about who she actually was and try to you know track her down and the entire film takes place on his computer or her computer or various computers and so you get to see him going through social media doing web searches going through text messages um facetiming people and um i was just enthralled the entire the entire time in addition to like being this fascinating look about technology and um being a parent it's also just like a great thriller plenty of twists that i never saw coming i couldn't have predicted the end um and my favorite thing about this movie is that i had a blast seeing it the first time in a theater and then when i rewatched it at home it was so fascinating to watch the movie and pause it throughout and take a t- take the time to read everything on the screen. <laughs> because yes. this is a movie that takes place on a computer screen, there's an entire world built on every single frame. Um, if you're looking at his inbox, you can read all the subject lines of all Ugh. the other emails he's gotten. I love lo- that. <laughs> and if you're looking at a web page, there's comments on the on the blog post or banner ads that kind of relate to the story. Every single detail of the frame is meticulously thought out. Um, I've never seen as thorough world building in any movie as I've seen in this movie. Um, there are entire like jokes and storylines and like character details that you would only get if you paused the movie and really examined it that you couldn't keep up with if you were just watching it straight through um and so the movie is a when you don't pause it is i think an excellent movie that i loved the first time i saw it but the fact that it has all these extra layers and hidden depths just rewards viewing after viewing and um yeah it's that alone i knew it had to be on my top 10 list because i'd never seen anything like it before uh the tv show bojack horseman does a lot of stuff like that of just like putting putting stuff in where you would not see it if you're watching it but if you're pausing it if you're watching it for a second or third time or something like that um you see a lot of these details that you know build the world and make you know the characters deeper and i think a lot of that comes from just like having fun and just loving what you're doing and you can really tell with with searching 
that these people absolutely loved making this movie. Totally. Uh, so. I, I listened to a lot of um, podcast interviews of directors, and the interview with the director of this film was my favorite interview I've listened mm-hmm. to all year long. It's so fascinating, and he, and the passion that he exuded during the interview. Um, I loved everything that went into making this movie and i can't wait to see more from him oh yeah i am absolutely pumped to see him again yes okay so ben yes here about what your number 10 is okay so my number 10 uh is support the girls by andrew bujowski uh, an, an austin filmmaker uh the king of mumblecore he has given us an incredible uh slice of life uh drama um, support the girls is, uh, a day in the life of Lisa, the general manager of double whammies, a family oriented restaurant. Um, <laughs> and it stars Regina Hall and, uh, a, an incredible cast. Um, this whole movie is basically just incredible performances. Regina Hall is stunning in it. She is, uh, empathetic and she's hilarious and she's heartbreaking and she is, uh, the mother that you would want and the friend that you need. Like, she's just incredible in the lead role. And we also get Haley Lou Richardson, speaking of Columbus, um, Haley Lou Richardson as a uh, one of the servers who is just this ray of sunshine character. Um, she is a delight. She lights up every frame that she's in, every scene she steals. She's incredible. Uh, we get Dylan Galula. Uh, she's the daughter in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I love uh, her. She's incredible. <laughs> uh, we get uh, the rapper Jungle Pussy stealing a bunch of scenes, giving all the sass, being amazing. Uh, we get even a throwback. Uh, we get AJ Machaka from Ali and AJ. Um, <laughs> she steals it. She has a Steph Curry tattoo in this movie. It's wild. So um, the film makes you laugh. It makes you feel really good. Um, and it really does depict working class, um, just, you know, like everyday American struggles and, you know, having obstacles come up and having to overcome them um, and the real drama of everyday life. I was charmed by it. I laughed a lot and I felt a lot. So that's my number 10. Wonderful. Thank you, Ben. I, Lucas, Lucas and I both saw this and I have mixed feelings about Support the Girls, but it's one that like... I can appreciate the love for it and such like, I, I really love that people love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. one of the few movies that I watched multiple times this year. Yeah. I don't usually like at the end of the year, I'm usually going back and like revisiting what movies are going to end up on my top 10. And this was one of the ones that I went back and rewatched um, just because like, like you said, like the characters in it are so like interesting and deep. Um, and it's just a really fun, like it's a, fr- it's a frantic movie. Cause because it's this like slice of life, mo- life movie, like most of it takes place within one day and just kind of the franticness of Regina Hall and just how much is going on in her life. Um, it's just so, so, so fun to watch. Right. And it's far from a perfect film, but what I loved about it was that it was a world that I loved being in and I loved being with those characters and I loved mm-hmm. all of the trials and all of the obstacles they had to come overcome. I was there every step of the way uh, and I would rewatch this movie in a heartbeat, which is a big factor on my top 10 this year is what movie am I going to see again? That played a big yeah. part. So. Yeah. Support the girls. Number 10. Wonderful. Lucas, what is your number 10? Well, speaking of working class movies, um, my number 10 is Minding the Gap. Um, I'm not someone who usually loves documentaries a whole lot. Um, 
but this one really, really touched me. And I think that's a, one of the big themes in my top 10 this year is movies that moved me. Um, so Mining the Gap specifically, this is a, a documentary about um, three three young men, three skateboarders in Rockford, Illinois, um, and the, the relationship between um, their, their skateboarding and their um, kind of parenting, their relationship with um, abuse in their families and um, kind of how that, how, that, how that plays out in their lives. Um, it is a very, very unique documentary. I think uh, the filmmaker, the, the director himself, um, is one of the guys that uh, kind of deals with abuse and is a skateboarder. And so he's actually in the film a lot um, and kind of talking to these guys and dealing with it. Um, there's a black kid who is kind of going through the issues of, you know, being the only black skateboarder and the only kind of black kid that he knows in, in Illinois and kind of how that how that works into his life. And um, it's a very moving, moving movie. And it's very interesting to see kind of how they grow. Um, Bing Lu, the director, has been kind of filming a little bit since he was a kid. So there are shots of these kids when they're like 11 and stuff like that. Um, and now kind of as they're adults and um, one of them has a kid of his own, um, it's interesting to kind of see that that progression. So I really loved this movie. Uh, did you guys see this movie at all? I did. It is so incredible. Um, it, it didn't make my top 10 this year, but it came pretty close. Um, like you said, Lucas, it's in so incredibly moving. And in addition to like how powerful of a story it is, I was dumbstruck by how well it was directed. When you keep in mind that, you know, Bing Liu has been working on this movie since he was a teenager and he's now like 30, I think. Mm -hmm. And so like yeah, the yeah. film, the filming that he's been doing since he was very young and, and the craftsmanship and this being his first feature film, it was like mind blowing how good this movie is. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to catch up with it, um, but I was listening to an interview with the director uh, a couple days ago and I'm excited to watch it when I get a chance. Yeah. It's fantastic. And I'm really happy that he got nominated for an Academy Award today. Yeah, so. <laughs> me too. Okay. So let's move on to uh, my number nine. My number nine pick is the favorite. Um, this is a movie that I saw on my 30th birthday. I made like a whole event out of it. And Love I it. was so pleased. It's everything I want out of like a movie about powerful, complicated, wicked women. Like it's it's wicked in every sense of the word. Wicked humor, wicked motives, um, wicked romance. It's just... Um, so there's so much to to keep your eyes on in here and so many twisting turns of relationship and power struggles and i i loved every second of it um i also think that the favorite has like the best ensemble of the entire year every single actor in this movie is just performing at their a game and they are some of the best actors in the entire business um it is like crazy to me that emma stone is didn't win her Oscar for this movie because she is on like a whole other level in this movie, I think. Um, and I love, I mean, of course, like Rachel Weisz and Olivia Coleman are also incredible, but I even like really adored Nicholas Holt and Joe Alwyn as like these supporting kind of yep. like bumbling characters. Everyone is just like every moment they're on screen. There wasn't a single time when I was watching this movie where I wanted it to move on to a different scene. Like every single scene I was relishing. Um, I can't recommend it enough. And 
one thing that makes it so special that I loved this movie is that it was directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who I am, like, not a particular fan of. <laughs> I was going to say, he's not yeah. really up your alley. No, he isn't. Um, I, I respect his, like, artistry. I don't think he's, like, a bad director by any means, but he's just usually not my taste. But this film is just, I think, all of I think he's restrained in all the right ways and elaborate in all the right ways. And so, like, it's the perfect balance for me. And um, this got a ton of Oscar nominations this morning. And I don't think it will win Best Picture, but I would be so delighted if it did. Yeah. The Lobster was on my top 10 a couple years ago. Um, and I absolutely love just the weirdness of of his directing style. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is his most accessible film for sure. And I think it helps that he didn't write the script for it. Sure. Um, ah. I think I think that is probably what kind of pushes this over to the edge into actual, actually palatable for most people. Um, and I do think it's his best movie for that. I think it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, this, I, oh man. I had four films that were like, tied for 11th place mm -hmm. um, on my list and this is one of them so it didn't make the cut but it's like right there I uh, I love this film and I'm actually really excited about seeing how the Oscars go for it yeah yeah okay Ben what's your number nine pick all right uh, my number nine pick uh, top films of 2018 is Vice there were several films that I watched this year that gave me a specific feeling that I couldn't shake um, and I'll talk about those a lot. Some uh, some of them made the list a little bit higher up and some were just uh, outside of my list. But Vice um, was this weird combination of factors that really stuck with me um, for, I mean, I'm still thinking about this film um, specifically because uh, it was just a lot of history that I wasn't paying attention to that was happening in my lifetime. Um, and I love that this movie was basically like a movie long Vox video, um, just like explaining <laughs> what happened, um, with some, like some comedic elements, um, which was great because I, it was informative yet it was enjoyable. Um, and I think that the performances of Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, Amy Adams as Lynn Cheney, you know, Sam Rockwell as George W. Steve Carell as, uh, who was he? He was, uh, Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld. That's right. Um, they all gave incredible performances, which really carried this film. Um, I think Adam McKay is doing this weird, he's walking this tightrope where he's doing a really good service for dumb people like me who don't keep up with the news, where he's making important things that have happened within our lifetime palatable um, in movie form and also educating the people who don't pay attention, which I'm really thankful that he's doing. And I think that Adam McKay is a really interesting director in that he's been nominated twice for an Academy award uh, for this and the big short. Um, and he also can make Anchorman and, you know, <laughs> stepbrothers. Um, I think that he's a really smart dude. And I think that while his filmmaking may not necessarily be the like academic high art, um, I think that the performances that he gets out of his actors are really great. Um, he can, you know, walk the line between comedy and drama, uh, informative and emotional. Um, and with this film specifically, he did walk that line. I know it's, it's been beaten into the ground at this point, but of humanizing Dick Cheney um, while still depicting him as the monster that he was, um, which I thought was a really, really um it's a really uh, great feat. So uh, Vice was my number nine. I'm interested to hear what y'all think. 
Lucas, have you seen Vice? I haven't. This is one of three movies that I was like, I'm going to watch it once it gets nominated for the Oscars. Yeah. Right. Um, but it just never came up yet. So mm-hmm. it, it will happen for sure. Yeah. <laughs> ben, I have a lot of negative emotions about I'm Vice. Sh- give them to me. <laughs> well, I want to hear them. I don't. I don't love to use this episode to trash movies because, you know, okay. I don't, I don't want to be too negative on, like, the top ten episode. Right. Um, but I think there's a lot bad about this movie. I, what I will give it is that there are great performances in it. Mm-hmm. And there are two scenes in particular that have stood out that I cannot get out of my head that I think are expertly done scenes. Mm-hmm. That, like, I really, like, make me not completely hate this movie and then there's a lot of other parts of this movie that i think are just like so badly done or like the point of view is like so skewed and upsetting and um so there's a lot that i didn't like but there's also stuff that i think is like really special and so i have i constantly have these mixed emotions where i can't say it's one of the worst movies of the year because there is so much interesting and good stuff in it but um, there's a lot of stuff that I really, really don't like as well. So it's, it's, it's a very complicated movie. Um, yeah. I'd rather have complicated movies than boring movies. So, like, I will give it that. A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. So. All righty. Well, yeah. um, Lucas, what about your number nine pick? My number nine pick is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Ooh. Oh, yeah. The whole point of a superhero is that we're supposed to be inspired by them and I don't feel like we've been inspired by recent superheroes. I feel like a lot of the movies have been entertaining and exciting and fun, and I've really enjoyed a lot of them. But I don't feel like any of the recent Marvel or any of the recent Marvel movies, with the exception of Black Panther, um, has been super inspiring. And Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This is a very hard movie to say, and I hate the name. (laughs) Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So much cool stuff happens and fun, interesting. Like, it's a fun and interesting story, but it also gets at, like, a deep issue of anyone can wear the mask. Anyone can be Spider-Man. And as a kid, that is exactly what you're looking for in a superhero movie is someone to be inspired by and someone to try and emulate. And I think that, like, it was one of the most fun experiences I had being in a theater this year for sure. Yeah. yeah, I loved that film, and I'm going to say more about it later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I have nothing but positive things to say about it. I, I I, think the story is excellent, but like, what really blows me away in this movie is just the visual language. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think it's on track to win the best animation. Um, if it doesn't, Oscar. I'm going to be extremely upset. And <laughs> I, I just think that's such an exciting thing for um, an exciting movie to win. Um, I, 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 Lucas, I think you just said it great. I love this movie as well. Woo woo. Yeah. So let's move on to our number eights. My number eight is Can You Ever Forgive Me? Directed mm. by Marielle Heller. Um, this is a movie that, man, like really sat in the pit of my stomach the entire time I was watching it. Um, it's one of, it's like a, it's a very human story about someone who is lonely, not very likable, talented, but maybe not talented enough. Um, and it's just trying to like survive and make it in the world and um, maybe be happy if it, it as, you know, kind of a final goal. And through this movie, I just 
had so much empathy for feeling lost and hopeless. Um, the there's this this movie is like very depressing in a lot of ways, um, but also just like you get to by seeing like someone at their worst and then climb to being a slightly better version of themselves or using friendship and a little bit of like drive to like get their life into a different place um was really powerful to me and the story for anyone who's not aware it's a based on a true story it's about an author who is not really getting any work and is has very little money and decides to start forging letters from famous literary figures and selling the letters as a way to make money um and so it's a little bit of like a harebrained con artist scheme which always you know um interests me particularly <laughs> and it's also this look about it's this look at depression it's a look at loneliness it's a look at like queer identity um queer friendships i think that it, like, in a way that i've rarely ever seen in movies um it's a look at aging that i think is like really frank um and harsh but in all the right ways i was so moved by this movie and um if it were if if i had my pick marielle heller would have a best directing nomination for this year's oscars um, there have been so many amazing films directed by women this year, but this is one that, like, I think really deserved more Oscar attention than it got. But I am very excited that Melissa McCarthy got a Best Actress nomination for it because she's just unrecognizable and remarkable in this film. This is the first movie that I've seen where um, the, if the, the main character – I feel like in most movies, if the main characters are queer, that is a part of the movie. It is very much – a portion that is talked about and very much discussed and very much almost a plot point yeah. um, somehow. And in this movie, it is not. It is part of their character and it is part of kind of the backdrop of the life that they're living. Um, but it's just, this is a movie where the two main characters happen to be queer. And that is a really interesting thing to see. And especially with them at the age that they are in the time period that they are, yeah. isn't something that you ever get to see. Like this is, I, I, I just feel like this is a, it's a beautiful movie. It's so well directed. I mean, everybody's doing an amazing job in this film. Um, I'm excited to see Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant at the Oscars, um, but I just wish more had been happened with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I uh. mean, this movie, I feel like I, I haven't seen it yet, and I remember hearing whispers about it, and it, it's almost as though they didn't know how to tell people what it was. Um, but the way, Sandra, the way that you described it was perfect, especially for me. Um all the things that you were talking about reminded me of, uh, I'm sure this is a weird comparison, but Synecdoche, New York, the Charlie Kaufman film. Yeah, um, yeah. And there was a period of my life where I was watching that like almost weekly. So this movie sounds like it was made for me. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. Especially as it, like it, the way it talks about art and how like art and craft work, mm -hmm. work together as like one thing that you have to make mm. um it's especially with like with writing it's not just art and it's not just craft it's the two of those things combined and figuring out how to make that thing and also like you're not just selling a piece you're selling yourself as well and how that is is difficult it's a it's a it's a weird thing that you have to do in that in that world and it really kind of digs into you have to also be just be comfortable with who you are <laughs> and 
Yeah. It's it's a beautiful movie. It really is. And it's set, I believe, in the early nineties of and in, in yes. New York City. And you really just feel like you're in New York in the nineties. Like the, it's not mm-hmm. glossed over in any way. It feels dirty and real and like like you said, Lucas, the queer characters, them being queer is not part of the plot, but it is part of the fabric and the mood and the nature of this story. Um, the the way that they are countercultural is like very much a part of this story, both in their sexualities and in their neighborhoods and in their livelihoods and in their attitudes and clothes and everything about it feels just so built lived in and um yeah i i loved being transported to that era yeah yeah all right ben what is your number eight all right uh my number eight this year was ready player one and what i know i knew (laughs) wow i did not expect this at all so one of my criteria for my top 10 this year was enjoyment during the film you know technical emotional overall and i'm gonna have to say that my experience during ready player one might have been my favorite movie going experience this year and i'll explain why i first of all i went to go see it in imax at the Bob Bullock Museum here in Austin, the the biggest screen in the city. Uh, I was under the influence, let's say it like that. <laughs> and I was just ready with no expectations. Um, I think it's helpful to understand that I don't really watch superhero movies. Um, I, don't, I haven't kept up with any of the Marvel movies. I did see Black Panther, but I think that might have been the only you know superhero movie I saw this year. And so me not really being in the action adventure CGI world um, and having no expectations, I was just blown away. Um, I had such a good time. This movie knew, uh, this movie was trying to do one thing and it was trying to make you have fun and make you feel like you went on an adventure. And that's all I wanted out of it. And that's exactly what I got. Um, It was a huge experience that delivered big time fun and nothing more, nothing less. I feel like I could rewatch this movie, uh, which is a big part of my list. And, um, I love Ty Sheridan, you know, <laughs> that's all I got. I oh, want to see this. I haven't seen this movie. I really want to see this movie solely for Lena Waithe. Like, I just want to see her in this film and that's, that's, that's all I got. Yeah, I'll tell you this. You what you really want to see this movie for is Ben Mendelsohn. I oh, love yeah. Ben Mendelsohn, uh-huh. and he, he does some excellent work in this movie. Okay, um, he is. This is. I I hate to say this. This is one of his all time great performances. He does. I think he does other work other places that is are better, but there are very few. Like he is doing yeah. a very unique thing in this movie that is so much fun to watch. Well, that has me interested. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, he's. I mean, his character. Like I, I think he specifically elevates the character more than like the script is there for, Mm -hmm. but he does a great job with it. Um, This movie is so weird. I think it's very, (laughs) it's very, it's very unique. Um, And honestly, I think the script does a better job than the book did. I read the book Mm. and the book is not, not good at all. Um, I think one of the things that, that Steven Spielberg is really good at is um, 
making action meaningful. Yes. And one of the things that this this movie has so many action sequences, yes. and they all matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're all necessarily coherent. I think there's a lot of stuff going on <laughs> in a lot of those action movies or in those those action scenes, and a lot of it is fun, but I don't think it's necessarily all coherent. Um, but yeah, he knows how to make sure that each battle, each um, race, each chase thing um, has stakes. And I think that, that that's a huge part of this movie. Right. For me, I watched this film and it, it slid into the category of those movies that you can put on on a Saturday when you just kind of want to like watch something that's easy and fun and you know it'll make you feel good. That's what this movie was for me. Perfect. So. All right, Lucas, what is your number eight? Um, number eight, going back to female directors, um, Deborah Granix, um, Leave No Trace. This is a story of a father and his 13-year-old daughter who live in a park. Um, ben Foster plays the father. Thomas C. McKenzie plays the daughter. Um, this is her first film. She is brilliant in this. Uh, so is Ben Foster, as always. Um, he plays – I've talked about this on the podcast before, but he plays a um, – a veteran with PTSD in a way that I think no one's ever seen before. He is an excellent father <laughs> and he is just struggling. And it's just so you just at every turn, you just see how much he's struggling and yet how much he loves and is caring well for his daughter. And I think that's one of the things you don't see with like PTSD stories. You see how much they're hurting other people or how much they're kind of wallowing in their pain. And he, in this movie, he is struggling hard and yet, doing his best and making it. He is making sure his daughter is educated. He is making sure um, she's taken care of. And it's a beautiful movie. It really is. This is one of the most, I think, kind movies Mm. of the year. Um, Everyone in this is just trying their hardest to help each other out. And it's something I really needed this year. Like, it's it's totally, totally amazing. Um, And also just how people, how characters deal with pain is excellent excellent in this movie um there's a quote that um from the movie that i think it's also in the trailer but it's um the same thing that's wrong with you isn't wrong with me um is something that has just really stuck stuck with me from this movie um and just it is it is also it's gorgeous it was shot out in portland in the woods um and it is just a really, really beautiful movie. She, uh, Deborah Granick is an awesome director. I, again, I wish she was more involved in a lot of these conversations, mm-hmm. but um, I would give her all the money to make another one of these movies. Yeah, yeah this this movie definitely is on my uh, watch li- to watch list. Um, it didn't receive any nominations, unfortunately. Isn't that correct? No, yeah. sadly, no. Got snubbed, um, yep. but I'm still going to watch it. Yeah, this no. movie is one of I think one of the best of the year. It is um, the perfect example of a movie that's very, very quiet, but never boring. Like, not not yeah. a single second do you want to look away from the screen. Um, but yet it has this, like, really, really quiet nature to it. And I wouldn't even call it serene, because not every moment is, like, peaceful. But, it, it like, there are moments of tension, and there are moments of peace, um but you just like are so invested either way. Yeah. I loved it. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our number sevens. Um, my number seven movie of the year is never going back. It's a directorial debut (laughs) by Augustine Frizzell. Um, and it is a, a movie about these two teenage girls who live in kind of a small, 
shitty town in Texas and they live in a shitty house with barely any money and their dream is just to like go to the beach and <laughs> like that's that's the main goal that they're working towards and the whole and the movie is just about them you know messing up and encountering obstacles and um always having the best of intentions but always kind of like getting in their own way and it's hilarious and i love this movie because i think it's such a frank and interesting and realistic look at like teenage girls especially teenage girls that are dirty and vulgar and funny and passionate and wild um it's a great look at what i think is a very gen x relationship um where these two teenage girls are so incredibly close that you don't even really know the nature of their relationship and it doesn't even really matter um do you mean gen z Gen Z. Oh God. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm you... <laughs> I was like Gen X no, relationship. I Interesting. Meant Gen Z. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 I. Thank you for that. I'm very much yeah. Gen Z. Um, meaning that like they're be they're beyond labels like in such a fascinating way. Um, I can't stress enough how funny this movie is. It's so hilarious, and it was one like testament to this movie is that I got to see it at. Um, a film festival before it was released in theaters. Thankfully, I got to see it there because I don't think it ever came to theaters in Nashville. Um, but after I saw the movie, I would just go, I would just rewatch the trailer over and over just to see clips from the movie again because I wanted to like see this movie oh, again so fast. Um, I just think this movie, it reminds me of, um, it's kind of like if Spring Breakers met the Florida Project and that it's like set in this kind of like grim environment um, where everyone's kind of struggling. But then it has this like wild, let loose vibe like Spring Breakers. Um, I really wish that this movie got more attention. I think that people would really love it if you would give it a chance. Um, did either of y'all happen to see this movie? I didn't. Um, this was one of the movies that I, like, as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, this is a movie for Sandra, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, I did not get around to watching this movie. I have not either, um, but I am excited to because I trust Sandra's judgment wholeheartedly. Yeah, and the stars of this movie, I think, are, like, so incredible. Her names are Maya Mitchell and Camilla Maroney, and I had never seen either of them in anything before this, and they're just so so good i hope that they get a ton they're in a ton more stuff because to me this movie really showed like what potential they have um okay let's move on to ben your number seven my number seven is if beale street could talk the third feature film by barry jenkins um you guys talked about barry jenkins i believe last week sandra was that yes. you're feeling it um barry jenkins has quickly become uh, one of my favorite filmmakers, but also just uh, someone who I really respect. Um, not only the way he talks about um, cinema, but his love for it and his respect for the craft. Um, he has become kind of uh, like essentially my film school, uh, like a video store clerk who's like, hey, you got to watch this film. Um, he did a, uh, a, cr a Criterion Closet selection video on YouTube. Uh, which introduced me to 
a bunch of incredible filmmakers, uh, Lynn Ramsey, Claire Denis, uh, even just pointing out, you know, old Coen brothers, all these different films uh, that he had so much respect for, John Cassavetes. Um, he's quickly becoming the arbiter of film for America. He's becoming one of the, the uh, art house filmmakers for America, and I could not be happier. I think he is very worthy of that crown, and I think that he knows the responsibility um, that, that, that comes with that, and I think that he's um, a great great choice for that um i think if beale street could talk um was just an incredibly empathetic film um one of the things that i just loved about it was that barry jenkins stresses is empathy that is his uh that's what he believes cinema is created to do is to create is to share empathy between the characters and the audience and he creates it in spades um you know, the film itself is beautiful, not only the colors, but the uh, the cinematography and the score. The score just brings you into this movie and brings you into the emotion of these characters. Um, I felt that I was just kind of, you know, floating while I was watching this film. And um, it's an, as with all of uh, Jenkins's work, I know that I'm going to watch it many more times, um, and I've only got it once, uh, but the feeling that it left me with was just this this beautiful empathy, um, just, I, I felt everything when I was watching it, um, and it lingered, it lingered in the best way. Um, I think that uh, if Beale Street could talk, it, it, it kind of feels like, to me, how Tarantino did Jackie Brown after he did Pulp Fiction. You know, Barry Jenkins did Moonlight, which won Best Picture, and uh, was, uh, you know, a very stylized, a very uh, cinematically aggressive film, a beautiful film. And, uh, you know, if Beale Street could talk, it definitely feels like Jenkins' style. It also just feels like a quiet left turn that some people might argue, just like people argue with Jackie Brown for Tarantino, this might be his best work to date. Um, so I just think that it was a great step for him as a filmmaker to, to take on this period piece that he had written around the same time that he wrote Moonlight. Um, and I think that it's, it's just a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, I think adapting a James Baldwin novel is... Um ambitious at the least um, <laughs> and to take something like this and as your follow-up from moonlight um is amazing he is Berger is a craftsman for mm -hmm. sure like he knows exactly what's going on and the camera work he does in this the kind of production design that he has set up um one of the things that he's talked about is like he's just want he like it's it's cheaper to do interiors and so he did a lot of interiors for this movie <laughs> and it's beautiful it truly is gorgeous it's such a gorgeous movie i yeah it's i loved it i loved it i did i just talked about it on the podcast so i won't say much more <laughs> this movie barely didn't make my top 10 i think it's mm -hmm. so incredible and i think it's a crying shame that it didn't get more nominations um, i agree same Oscars. so yeah i i'm gonna echo all the things y'all just said um Lucas, what is your number seven? Well, we just talked about empathy, and we just talked about Tarantino. So I got to say my number seven is Bad Times at the El Royale. Ooh, um, all right. Yes. Okay, if you think you know what you're getting into with this movie, you really don't. You really don't. You say to yourself, yeah, this is a knockoff of a Tarantino movie. It's not that, I promise you. It comes at some of the same ideas, but with so much more empathy for its characters. Like I honestly, like when I watched the trailer for this movie, I was like, this is 
Drew Goddard's take on a Tar- Tarantino movie, <laughs> and I absolutely loved it more than any Tarantino movie I've ever seen. Mm. Um, one, no one unnecessarily says the N-word, uh, which automatically brings it a cut above most Tarantino <laughs> movies. That's a plus. <laughs> um, this movie has so much trust for its audience um, that they will have the patience and willingness to take a chance on something like this, and I, I feel like we squandered it. This movie made less than $18 million at the box office, um, and that's one of the reasons we don't get smart original movies anymore, because when someone has enough credit to cash in, we uh, we don't take a chance on it. Uh, even if the entire marketing for this movie was shirtless Chris Hemsworth, we did not go and see this movie in theaters. It definitely I don't got understand my it. money. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I love this movie. The cast is incredible. Um, so seeing this and then seeing Widows, Cynthia Revo is amazing. Yes, um, she is an incredible actress. I cannot wait to. See. I've I'm calling it now. Within the next two years, she'll win an Academy Award. Um, this is so good. The twists, the turns, you're always on the edge of your seat. Um, and I think it has a lot to say. I like. There's a lot to say. Spoilery about this movie. Um, you're you're just gonna want to sit and talk to these characters forever. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah, I had such a good time watching this movie, which you forget is like one of the main functions of cinema. It's true. You know, yes. is yeah. to have a good time. You know, it's one of the ones I was most excited to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It, I couldn't believe how like fun and entertaining this movie was, and like you said, Lucas, like I've never seen anything like it before. Like you can't you can't expect anything that's coming at you in this mm-hmm. movie. Um, one thing I would say to people who haven't given it a shot yet, just if just in case that this is a concern, I know when I first saw the trailer, I was excited. I wanted to see it, but I was a little nervous about it looks a little scary, I think, in the trailer. Um, this movie is definitely thrilling, but it is not like a horror film. So if that is a concern, then you should cast that aside and go see this movie immediately. Yeah, it'll get For your sure. it'll get your heart rate going, but there's not really any jump scares that I remember. No, it, it's just it's no. not a horror film, so like just don't put it in that genre. Yeah, yeah, um, that's an excellent pick. Um, yes. We're gonna move on to our number six movie of the year. My number six movie of the year is a movie that um, I haven't heard anyone talking about, which is so sad to me because I was so deeply invested in this film. It's a movie called Beast, and it's directed by Michael Pierce. Um, and I believe it's set on, like, a small island in the U.K. And In Jersey. Is that the name of the island? Yep. There's an island called Jersey in the U.K.? Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's where New Jersey comes from. It's very, it's very famous. Oh, well, I've never <laughs> been there, so I, I had no that. idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's where it's set. <laughs> and... Um, it stars Jesse Buckley and Johnny Flynn. If anyone knows Johnny Flynn, he's like a big time musician that has also now started doing some acting. Um, and they're as the lead of this film, they're both so magnetic. Um, this is a movie about this like young woman who lives in this island on this island with a family that she kind of feels like an outsider in, and. In this, like, small community, um, young girls are being, like, raped and murdered, and they don't know who did it. And so this movie is a bit of a mystery about who is doing this. And it's also a bit of a look at what it's like to recognize mon- that how people can become monsters. 
um, and all the different ways that people can be monstrous to each other, um, which is, you know, pretty on the nose because it's, it's called Beast. But um, I was, I found this movie riveting. Um, the best thing I can compare it to is if you really liked sharp objects, I think you'll really be into Beast. Um, it deals with a lot of similar themes and a lot of similar, like, relationship issues. Um, it's a look at abuse in, like, all its forms. And it's a look at how alluring people can be. Um, it's it's a very sensual film. It's a very violent film. Um, I think it's a fantastic movie for the era we're living in. Um, and I... Was I just couldn't believe it when I was watching it. It was a movie that I checked out just because I thought the trailer seemed kind of cool. And then by, when I left, I couldn't believe what I had just seen. And it stuck with me all year long. I rewatched it recently, and um, I felt like I was watching it for the first time. I was so entra um, entranced by it. So I really hope that y'all yeah. will give Beast a chance because it... Um, no one, I, like I said, I've not heard a single person talk about it, and yet I found it thrilling. Well, I'll talk about it. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's really great. <laughs> um, Johnny Flynn's amazing in everything he's in. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't remember the girl's name. Uh, Jesse uh, Buckley. But she, Jesse, yeah, Jesse Buckley. She's also great. She's, she's really very. Good. She's a great leading leading lady. Um, I think, like you said, this is like I was thinking of Sharp Objects the entire time I was watching this, yeah. but not like in a bad way, which is surprising because Sharp Objects is one of the best TV shows of the year. Yeah. Um, so it 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 I think it holds up. I for me it was a mix of Sharp Objects and Burning. Um, if anybody yeah. watched that movie this mm -hmm. year, um, those two movies together I think make Beast. Um, I I really liked it. I thought it was really oh, neat. You know what else it reminds me of is Stoker. If you liked Stoker. Oh, yes. I yes. It, also Stoker. It really fits into that vibe as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait to check this movie out. Yeah, Sounds Ben, incredible. I think you'll yeah. appreciate it. Um, yeah. It's kind of like what, I mean, not that they're similar in like story, but it, what Thelma was for me last year, I think Beast is for me this year. And just the, mm. in the place in my heart that it sits. I love that. And I, yeah. I haven't heard anybody talking about it. Yeah. It's amazing. There you go. Yeah. And just for clarity's sake, Jersey um, is owned by the UK, but it's an island off the shore of France. <laughs> it's it's close to Guernsey, which is um, you'll know from the movie the uh, what is it literary the literary Guernsey, Guernsey Society, potato, potato peel society. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that movie. Yeah. So we had two we had two movies from the islands that are belonging to the UK off the coast of France. So. Yeah. Gotcha. The more you know. I love that you looked that up. That's amazing. Uh, I didn't think he looked it up. I think he just knew it because oh. Lucas knows the area. I, I, I did just know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's even better. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Ben, what is your number six movie of the year? Okay, so my number six uh, is a, a movie that I actually just watched last night. Um, every it's, It is the powerhouse of the year. Um, and... It's probably gonna move, uh, once I watch it again, once I sit with it some more. But uh, my number six is Roma. Um, I watched this film last night, and I was I was kind of everything. I was blown away, but I was also just kind of like very quiet and still. Uh, the film is so small. I didn't expect it to be so small, and yet it is. It it has all of these huge emotions in it. Um, Roma in for the one person who has never heard about it is Alfonso Cuarón's uh, semi, I believe, autobiographical. I think it's the story of his mother or uh, some family relative um, about uh, a young woman in Mexico who is uh, 
She helps out with a rich, you know, upper middle class Mexican family. Um, and it is her story uh, about um, having a, a baby. And it is so powerful. Um, it is so subtle. And it is so... I, I just can't get over it. The thing that I keep thinking about is how small yet big it is. Um, and I think that that's the, that dynamic is what makes this is one of the qualities that makes this movie so great. Um, again, empathy is going to come up a lot on this, uh, on my, my list, but this film, you feel so much for the character of Cleo. Um, you feel so much for all of the characters in this story. Um, and it's not, uh, it's very strange how gorgeous this movie is. Um, because a lot of the beauty comes from mundane, uh, you know, just domestic, you know, uh, scenes, domestic, um, places. But the way that, uh, Curon shoots this film, uh, the, the texture of the black and white, uh, and the, the film language that he uses is, is just, it's, it's a cut above everything else, um. Just the, the 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 motifs of water, the motifs of dogs, the motifs of cars and parking in this movie, um, it all <laughs> it all uh, allows for second and third viewing. It it all allows for deeper meaning. It all allows for you to read the text that is this film um, in a way that uh, the other films don't. Um, and so I I'm excited to see what awards it wins i'm excited that the actress who played cleo got nominated for an academy award which was incredible um and i'm excited for you know people to to just see this movie because it it really is um art house in a way it is very foreign it is not an american film in any way but uh but it is uh human and it is it draws you in if you if you open yourself up to it I think Alfonso Cuaron is one of the most like technically perfect filmmakers that we have right now. And like watching this movie, you get that. You get all of the like perfect shots, the perfect use of black and white. Um, it is truly a stunning movie. It didn't hit me emotionally as much as it did, I think, a lot of people. Um, and so I, it didn't end up on my list, but I, I can definitely see why it's on most people's list. Yeah. Um... We should also note, Ben, that um, it got a Best Supporting Actress nomination for the that's, woman yes. that plays the mom. Um, the mother, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Which I was not expecting, but I'm extremely excited about. Same. Mm -hmm. I, I would agree with that. Um, I had a similar experience with this movie as I did Vice in that I had a lot of negative emotions when I first watched it and immediately after. Um, and my opinion hasn't really changed on it, but there are sequences from this film that are really burned into my brain. And so like, that is something that, you know, is hard to do. And I think the fact that this movie does that speaks a lot about it. And um, I, I do think that there are images and moments that I think are so stunning and really moving and meant a lot to me. Absolutely. There are yeah. several sequences in this film that go from absolutely mundane and, and normal to catastrophic and dramatic and cinematic. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about the beach, which, uh, if we're just talking about cinematography, that one shot, sh sh like, earned him the nomination. It was incredible. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how they did that. They took the camera to the beach, then into the water. It was a dolly shot, but they were in the ocean. I don't know how they did it, <laughs> and I'm so impressed. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's a it's a great film. Yeah, 
All right, Lucas, what is your number six pick? Uh, my number six is the Korean film that didn't get nominated for an Oscar today, Burning. <laughs> oh, man, I am very upset about that. It, I really did think it was going to get a Best Picture nominee. I didn't think it would win, but I thought it would at least get nominated, and it did not. Yeah. Um, uh, turns out Stephen Yen's a movie star, huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's great. Um, this movie is, it's very, very slow. Uh, this movie is two and a half hours long, and I think you probably could have cut probably 20 minutes of it, uh, but I loved it, all 20 of those m minutes that, you know, were unnecessary. Uh, just sitting in that world and feeling um, kind of the the pain and the existence of being it's a bit it's about a poor kid who lives on the kind of on the border um of south korea and north korea uh, right on the dmz um and he his father is going to jail and he's just kind of struggling and um he meets a, a girl he went to high school with and they um, strike up a friendship and um, she introduces him to um a friend of hers who is a rich, successful, gorgeous dude, um, and kind of his jealousy and interest in that guy's relationship with her and um, kind of their somewhat friendship. It's a really interesting movie. Um, it goes some weird places. It is beautifully shot. Um, I think I, I have some issues with kind of how he deals with the, the female character in this movie. Um, but overall, I loved this movie. I think it talks a lot about um, male rage and um, um, kind of feelings of ownership when you don't own much. And it is... I am excited to watch this movie many more times. Yeah. Uh, you guys both saw this, right? I have not seen this film. Oh, okay. Oh, Ben, I, I can't wait to for you to see this um you mm -hmm. know this movie i think the the first i don't know if it's the first third or the first half um like you said lucas it's very slow um when it first started i didn't know i was kind of like what's all the fuss about like i wasn't getting into it and mm -hmm. then there's a very pivotal beautiful scene with the lead actress of this film that like i couldn't believe it was so beautiful and then from that point on, I was so hooked into this movie that um, I just I was so hooked. And there there are three striking scenes in this film that like the movie, I think, is good on a whole. And then those three scenes just like take it into another level of greatness. Um, yep. And I, 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 I can't wait to talk with you, Lucas, about what those are, because I think you know what they are off the top of my head. Um, but we'll yep. see. But um, yeah, there's just like things that I've never seen on in a movie before. And like you said, Stevian is so incredibly magnetic and charismatic and in a soft way and and quiet, but powerful and and sensual and attractive. And I, I was so mesmerized by him. I can't wait for him to be. In more things between this and his like charisma and sorry to bother you it's just like yeah like you yeah. said he's a movie yeah. star he's so good mm -hmm. yeah mm. all right um i do want to note that all of our number sixes were movies set in foreign countries 
Um, What's your just, just a fun Watching little. Watch them foreign films. Fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's. Oh, so also real quick, we haven't had an overlap, right? We haven't repeated a movie. Yet. No, not yet. Not, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. You know, one thing I'm noticing, not only in like comparing our top ten so far, but in like a lot of top ten compilations is that there's a lot of variety this year. You know, mm-hmm. some years, all the lists look the same with, like, maybe one or two variants. But right. this year, I feel like two p- people with very similar tastes could have two completely different top ten lists, like, um, which yeah. I think is very exciting. And um, I think that that speaks to the year. This year was a really, really good year for movies. Yeah. There were so many incredible films this year. Totally. Yeah. All right, so our bottom half of our list is done so we're about to move on to our number fives um i'm gonna start us off with my number five pick which is american animals did oh did either of y'all see this i know you did lucas i think yeah, yeah. i loved it ben, did you i, I this? didn't i haven't caught it yet but i'm going to it's on my list um talking about like i said earlier in the episode how this year a big theme for my list is innovation um and things i've never seen before american animals treats a true story in a way that I've never seen a movie treat a story before. Um, uh, We didn't mention this in our review of the episode, uh, in our episode where we reviewed the film. I don't think it's a huge spoiler, so I will say in this episode that this movie combines documentary filmmaking with fiction narrative filmmaking in a super fascinating way. Um, And I think... It's not a gimmick. I think the movie could only be told this way. And the fact that they employ this style of filmmaking is what makes it so powerful and what helps you fully understand the story. I think that if this movie didn't employ this like trick, you should you could say, um, it would just be another like kind of, you know, teenage heist film. Um if it was just a documentary, it would be interesting, but just a documentary. But the combination of the two is, I think, a really fascinating look on memory and what is real and what is not real and motive, um, as well as like a bunch of other themes that the story really dives into about American exceptionalism, about identity, about um, male expectations of young men about um privilege and on top of all that it's an incredibly tense heist film um, which i love this movie had one of the most tense scenes for me of the entire year of a scene that when i watched the movie again for the second time the first time when I didn't know it was coming, I was really tensed up. The second time when I knew that it was coming, I was even more tensed up. Um, it was one of the like cringiest, most powerful scenes of the year for me. And uh, if you like movies about teenagers hatching plans, about heist films, if you like movies that ex- like documentaries that examine um, like how things go wrong and like you like I said it earlier privilege and identity I think you'll love this movie in addition on like all the themes it covers the film the film doesn't hold back in any moment any um 
filmmaking camera trick, it goes for it. Every character choice, the actors are, like, putting themselves completely out there. This movie, like, is as wild and as passionate as, like, the characters were at the, like, the characters themselves. And so, um, yeah, I had a blast watching this. When I rewatched it, I was, like, on the edge of my seat and, like, it was like I had taken a drug. I was so excited while watching it. So American Animals, that's my number oh, five. Wow. It's so good. It really is. I, I loved what you said about American exceptionalism. Um, also, just ego. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, the thing about having uh, a narrative film mixed with documentary elements shows that ego off so much of the like how it's actually happening and how the people who um, did it are portraying themselves and how they're, um, you know, talking about, you know, what they did. It's so, it's so interesting and very unique. And so I, I loved it. Something else I just thought of is because the way that they're blended, the doc, the documentary nature of it and the narrative mm-hmm. really like makes you think about the responsibility of action that people have for their actions in a way yeah. that like, I don't think would have been as effective, again, if it had been just a documentary or if it had been just a narrative film. I don't think you would have had... The audience wouldn't have been able to hold the weight of what that responsibility looked like mm-hmm. in any other way. Yep. And that's, I think, Definitely. really impressive that this film manages to like drive that home. Yeah. Definitely. Um, ben, what is your number five movie of the year? All right. So my number five is Thoroughbreds. Yes. Uh, Thoroughbreds uh, was a movie that I watched uh, about a year ago, and it has it's so it's probably the one that I saw the earliest in 2018 on my list, and it has just stayed with me. I was so impressed. Um, for those who have not heard about it, uh, it kind of flew a little bit under the radar. Thoroughbreds uh, follows high school student Lily and her uh, emotionless friend Amanda as they plan to kill Lily's stepfather. Uh, with the help of a drug dealer, uh, played by Anton Yelkin in his final R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, this movie, uh, there are two films on my list that were made by first-time directors that just blew me away, um, just by their precision and just by their clear focus. Uh, and Thoroughbreds is the first one. It's incredible. I mean. Uh, the thing that I remember about it is just that it is so precisely filmed. Uh, the cinematography in this film is incredible. Um, and the other thing I love about this film uh, was Olivia Cook, who is making a repeat appearance on my list after Ready yeah. Player One. <laughs> um, she, this, the hill that I will die on is that Olivia Cook should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for her performance in this film. She was absolutely 100%. stunning. Um, she played, uh, this role of this, yeah, emotionless, uh, character named Amanda, who it was, the performance was well beyond Olivia Cook's years, but also so specific and so good. Um, I, I was looking at the poster of this movie and it, it, they, they, they tried to pitch it as American Psycho meets Heathers, um, which I thought was really interesting. Everybody kept saying that it's it's wickedly funny. It's so dark. This movie is pitch black. It is so dark. <laughs> <laughs> it is so dark. And the things that happen to this movie are so fucked up. And I go with these characters every step of the way. Um, 
I had a really good time in this movie, and I was so uncomfortable. Um, and yet I, I enjoyed both experiences. Did either of y'all catch this movie? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Um, it barely didn't make my top ten. It is... Um, it for a while, like you know, when the year as the year goes on, you kind of like start thinking what your top ten is going to be. It was on there for a while. Um, I love the look, at, like two very different types of teenage girls, and yes. what the friendship is like between those two types of girls, and um, and how that plays out into again like that desire for like freedom and power and um, and manipulation, and um, I think that like. This story is so expertly crafted. Yeah, I, I thought it was a blast. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want me to talk about it or... I do want you to talk about it, Lucas, because I would love for you to talk about your number five movie now. Yeah, we're, I'm just not going to talk about it because my number five is also Thurbrand! Yes! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this movie is so good. Okay, yes, I agree. I saw this movie in February. It was one of the first movies that I saw the year that I was like, this is going on my list. I cannot, like, it is absolutely, I knew immediately. I was like, this is it. It's on my list. I love it. The there's a there's a quippiness there's a um, just the rhythm of the dialogue like it's right up my alley like that right there is perfect it is a really tight script they mm-hmm. don't they're like uh, I forget this I, what's the director's name um, it's like Corey something yeah right? it's I mean, yeah uh, Corey Finley Corey Finley yeah this is his first movie which is the most impressive thing ever um, he I read the script for this it's a play script like he wrote this as a play and then couldn't get it financed as a play and so turned it into a movie Ugh, um, I love which that. is one of the most impressive things I've seen because it's not it's not it's filmed like a movie like he has yeah. it mm-hmm. blocked out it's perfect like the cinematography is amazing oh it's so good I love yeah I absolutely love this movie um we were talking with American Animals. We were talking about um, uh, male privilege. Uh, this gets at um, some female privilege. Some uh, some uh, there's a the Anton. I don't think they explore class as much as they could have in this movie, um, but I think they do it to a to a point to where you you get it. Um, it's very much Anton Yelchin's character is um, a character who is very much pointing out um their privilege and it's really interesting just to see how they handle that and how they (laughs) just their views on it um i i love this movie so much it's so yeah you know lucas you mentioning that it was originally written as a play is so fascinating because i particularly love movies that feel like plays um i love Mm -hmm, that style of like dialogue but the one thing though is that typically in those kind of movies you give up like um, really interesting cinematography in exchange for yep. interesting dialogue. And this movie doesn't do yep. that, like you pointed out. Um, it's yeah. fully realized. It's so impressive. Yeah. It's so impressive to turn this into um, a movie that, that moves and feels kinetic um, when it's supposed to be, you know, just two people on a stage for most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's really great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember I remember one time uh, someone was, when someone was describing the movie Funny Games to me, and they said that there's this shot. They were like, the movie's incredible. The, the filmmaker did this, you know, paired with the psychologist to make the most incredible psychological horror film ever. And what they do is they don't show you anything, but you just hear everything. And that just stuck with me. And there is a scene at the end of this film where you hear everything and see nothing, and it is the tension in that shot, that one shot, is yep. insane. <laughs> it's incredible. I was I, I was watching it 
in like four different ways. I was watching it as an audience member, as a filmmaker, and I just couldn't believe it on every level. It was so great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move on, I just want to point out that all of our number five movies are movies about teenagers um, making plans to commit crimes. So another fun <laughs> Yay. that we have. Um, all right, so we're going to move on to our number four. Um, I'll start us off with a another documentary. Um, it is called Leaning into the Wind. Um, it's a documentary about an artist named Andy Goldsworthy. This is a movie, again, that I kind of just checked out because the trailer seemed somewhat interesting and it was like a rainy Sunday or whatever. You know, you just go to the movies and I couldn't, I was not prepared for how moved I was about to be during this movie. Now, I'm going to say something about this movie that some people might not think makes any sense for, has, for it being as high on my list as it is. I've seen it twice, once in theaters, once at home. Both times, I thought it was incredible. Both times, I fell asleep a little bit. Now, <laughs> the reason that I fell asleep a little bit during both times that I saw this movie is because there's not really a story to this film. It's just a documentary where you watch this artist work, create his art, talk about his art a little bit, and you just get to see his art. Um, so there's not really a plot. There's nothing to follow. It's just, it's just visual for the most part. Um, so there's that. And then also this movie is so peaceful and serene. I wouldn't call it boring by any means. I was, the moments when I am watching it, I, I'm so entranced by everything I saw, but the serenity of this film does lull you into such a comforting state of mind that like I couldn't help but like feel almost like this like zen thing that all, like put me to sleep you know what I mean it's it wasn't out of boredom or exhaustion it was almost just like it was very meditative that like I felt like just so at home in my body and in the world that like sleep was just like an okay thing for me to fall into um and I've never had that with a movie before. So I just, I think there's something really special about it in that way. Um, for anyone who has never heard of Andy Goldsworthy, he's kind of a world famous artist who only uses natural elements to create pieces of art that live out in nature. Um, so for instance, he might use brightly colored leaves and wet them in water and wrap them around branches or on tree trunks into some sort of graphic design that creates a piece of art. And then once he's created it, he walks away from it and eventually it kind of, as nature does, falls apart or erodes. Um, he uses branches and plants and leaves and stone and sand and um, rain and dust and wind to create sculptures to create graphic pieces of art colorful art to create performance pieces of art um at some points and i found all of his art so beautiful and in addition to how like beautiful i just think he is as an artist and the work itself is um his mission and his point of view i thought was fascinating um, you know, there are people that say they care about, like, nature and the environment, but when you listen to the way he speaks about the environment, I've never heard someone truly care about nature and his his personal relationship to nature and the elements in 
such a specific, beautiful, ideal way. Um, this movie, I just think is like so incredibly special and I, it's a hard movie to convince people to watch. It's a hard movie to recommend because it's, um, long. And like I said, not much specifically happens in it, but if you love artists, if you love learning about art and the way art is created, if you love like sort of a, a natural, uh, to me, it's kind of like a fairy tale mythical aesthetic. Um, I think you'll really appreciate this movie. Um, and if you are unsure, I would recommend Googling Andy Goldsworthy and seeing photographs of his art to see if it's something that really inspires you or that you find interesting and see if that's something that once makes you want to check this documentary out. I saw this for this first, the first time in theaters and immediately checked out every single book in the library that he had um, that was just filled with pictures of his art just so that I could keep looking at it. You've been telling me about it for months. I've even recommended it to people who say they love documentaries, <laughs> but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I I watched it. I, it's It truly is beautiful. One of the things that I love is um, one of the pieces that he does many times throughout the documentary is anytime it starts to rain, he'll just lay down wherever he is um, and let it rain. And so when he stands up, you have this one dry spot that's the form of his body. Um, and he'll just... It'll just be there, and then it'll the rain will continue, and it'll disappear. Um, and it's just a beautiful representation of what he does. It's just that little moment. And he does it many times throughout the film because it's in Scotland for the most part, and it rains all the time. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's. I love his art. It's it's totally unique and very um, – he's, he's fine with it not being preserved, and that's part of – the nature that he works with and that's part of what he what he's trying to do um and so I, I i really did like that documentary it was really beautiful yeah. it sounds like he's moving through the world creating magical realism wherever he goes and that sounds amazing i mean that's exactly he is, yeah. what he's doing and one of the cool things about this documentary and his work is that it ranges from something so small and very temporary like his you know those outlines of him in the rain, literally the moment he walks up, it continues to rain. And that figure and it's gone. is gone yeah. seconds later. Um, and it really is just for himself, you know, to extravagant sculptures that he's commissioned to do that are mind boggling. When you think of like the work that went into creating them. Um, mm -hmm. And so like the, and there's, you know, all shades in between there. So, so to see that he's an artist that values the the lying down, creating an outline of a human body in the rain just as much as, like, these elaborate sculptures, I think is a real testament to, like, the pure nature of his work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a movie I would recommend watching. Um, I would also recommend watching it once, and then after you've seen it, if you really love it and you love everything about it, one thing that I want to do is I want to, like, have a party where it just is, like, on mute on the TV so that, like, as you're, like, at the party, yes. like, these images just kind of, like, are floating through the vibe of the party. Yeah. Um, I just think that would be a cool use of it. Um, okay, let's keep moving. Let's move on to, Ben, your number four movie of the year. All right, my number four movie is Love, Simon. The studio romantic yes. comedy for the gays. <laughs> yes. Uh, in case you didn't catch this movie, it is about Simon uh, Spire, a closeted gay high school boy living in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, he becomes pen pals with a mysterious kid at his high school who's also 
gay named Blue. Uh, they strike up a friendship, uh, uh, an intimacy, and uh, it's about Simon as his secret gets discovered and you know exposed and all the drama of high school. This movie, you guys. It was so great. I'm just going to tell you, this is on my number four because it just feels good. <laughs> it's yeah. just a movie <laughs> I could watch over and over again. I mean, we finally got like a big old studio rom-com for gays and it feels so good. You guys, this is the best. Um, it uh, It's cute as hell. The music supervised by Jack Antonoff of Bleachers is amazing. Uh, it's rewatchable as hell. Um, it's, I, like it just is so cute. Like it is, it's polished like a studio movie. It feels like high schoolers in a studio motion picture, and I love it. Um, I had a great time uh, going and seeing it. I had a great time rewatching it with my boyfriend. Um, just smiling at this, uh, this, this gay character in high school figuring out all of the stuff that he's he's going through. Um, I laughed. I cried. Jennifer Garner made me weep. Um, What's his? Who, what's the dad's name? What's the actor who plays oh, the Josh dad? Hamilton? Josh, Josh, oh, Josh Hamilton. Hamilton. Josh Hamilton. Josh Dumal. Uh, other, other, other dad in another right. the, <laughs> teenage <different> movie. <laughs> the biggest drama in this movie is that this gay son has Josh Dumal as his father. I mean, that is <laughs> insane. Um, but yeah, it just, it just felt good. I'm gonna watch this movie over and over. It's gonna be one of those movies that kind of moves on with me, just because it feels good and it's nice and it's 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 really cute. Uh, did either of y'all see it? Lucas, did you? I did not. This is not a movie that I ended up seeing. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh, there, I did see it. And I loved it. There's such a um, important need and place in my heart and in like place and culture for just like quality teenage rom-coms you know because mm -hmm. these are the kinds of movies that like we as adults will watch them and like appreciate their charm you know there was so many points of this movie where i just like giggled and i loved what was happening and and, mo and moments where i rolled my eyes at the cheesiness but what i really loved was picturing the generation of teenagers that were watching this movie and that will continue to watch this movie at slumber parties at um at lock-ins at um, just like any the way that teens will treasure a movie and rewatch it over and over, I can just see this movie becoming that. And there's something so special about that. And especially that this is a movie with like um, featuring like a gay lead character and a gay romance for that for type of movie to become one of these classic teen movies that I hope will live on in the echo in the annals of teen films. Um, I think it's so cool. And this is just like a really nice fitting entry. I think you're absolutely right. And this film, actually, it has an interesting, uh, it was interesting thinking about it because um, I heard people talking about how it was a big success. Um, however, um, there was talk about how a lot of the, the people who will need this movie didn't necessarily see it in theaters because they couldn't, um, whether they didn't want to be outed by their friends to their friends, to their family. Um, a lot of people were talking about how this movie hopefully and rightfully so will live on, uh, in the streaming era in, you know, in not DVDs anymore, but you know, on Netflix and Hulu and all these places where people can find it and find that representation and find, uh, you know, an empathetic character. Yeah. 
Ben, can I ask you, did you happen to see the Netflix movie that also came out this year called Alex Strangelove? No. Okay. I haven't even heard of it. So you definitely should watch it because it came out kind of around the same time as Love, Simon, and a lot of people were making comparisons to it because it's also like a teenage rom-com about like a gay or, you know, like a, a male teenager trying to figure out his sexuality. Um, Love it. Yeah. And... I don't know how I missed it. I, yeah, I don't know either, but... um. That's, you know, not on my top 10 or anything. I'm just mentioning it. But um, it's a really, it's a little bit more of an edgier, um, like, cousin to Love, Simon. You know, it's Ooh. it's de dealing with similar themes, but the jokes are a little more, a little more vulgar. Um, the, the story is a little bit more complicated. Um, I'm not saying it's a better film or, or a worse film. It's just a little bit different. But that's streaming on Netflix. So I love that, like, we're getting two of these at the same time, the same year, and that there's, like, options. I love that. Um, and one final piece of trivia about Love, Simon that I just think is hilarious is that the director, his name is uh, Greg Berlanti. He's a big TV producer, and he's, you know, he did Life as We Know It. and A lot uh, of the he, CW, like, superhero A lot shows. of the CW, exactly. Um, he directed this movie and he is currently in a relationship with ex LA galaxy soccer player, Robbie Rogers. Um, and I just love that. It's like, a, they're just like a cute power couple, like an athlete and a filmmaker, just being <laughs> gay and moving through the world. It made me really happy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's really a great pick. Lucas, what is your number four movie of the year? My number four movie is annihilation. Um, this movie came out last February as well, and I also immediately knew that it was going to be on my list. So last February, I had two movies already that I was like, this is it. I'm, this is going to be a great year in film. So yeah. <laughs> um, when you take a theme like self-destruction and filter it through like a sci-fi drama like this, you get um, an extremely potent movie. I absolutely loved this movie. I loved Alex Garland's last film, um, Ex Machina. Uh, I was really excited to see what he did next. He did this, and it's incredible. Um, Natalie Portman is great, uh, but I really want to call it Gina Rodriguez in this movie mm. is a beast. Um, she, like, shaved half her head for this and uh, put on a ton of muscle and is incredible, and while still doing Jane the Virgin for the CW. <laughs> um, no, she she is great in this movie. Everybody is great. Um, the production design is excellent. Um, it's a weird movie, too. At the end, it really starts to get out of control and just is really, really um, existential and... I read the book series that this is based off of, and it's completely different. Um, and I think the movie works so well on its own um, as just a exploration of self-destruction. It's so good. Yeah. Ben, did you see this? I did. Um, and the end of this film may be my favorite ending of a 2018 film. I thought it was bonkers in the best mm -hmm. way. Um, yep. I love it that the film took it to that place and took us with it. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I was blown away. I, I had such a great time with this film and the ending of the film. Uh, it didn't make my top 10, but it was really close. Yeah, the, I think this movie is really, really good um, throughout the whole film. But the ending is what makes it my number three movie of the year. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is an ending that is like stuck with me since the moment I saw it. When I rewatched it, I was like, wow, this 
I didn't like hype this up over time. Like this ending is just as good as it was the first time I saw I it. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have a ton more to say about it because I really do mean that. I think the movie is very good throughout, but the ending is really what like captures my soul and like what made it like, and like melted my brain. And especially like the visual, the visuals of the ending, um, I think are so powerful. I think, Lucas, you just said it best when, like, when you described the themes of this film. One thing I want to mention is that this makes up for a really good double feature with the documentary I just mentioned, Leaning Into the Wind, because both mm. of these movies um, examine like a really unique artistic look at nature. Um, and so like comparing the visuals of the two, I think, is a really cool thing to do if you're ever looking for like a cool double feature on a Saturday. Um, otherwise, like you said, Lucas, the performances are incredible. Natalie Portman is like amazing as always. And, um, Jennifer Jason Lee is great. She's really good. Mm -hmm. I particularly loved Tessa Thompson in this movie. She has like, I think a really amazing standout moment on both an acting and for credit to like the director and the production team on a visual level. Um, it's one of my favorite moments of the film as well. Um, Oscar Isaac. God, I love Oscar Isaac. <laughs> oh, I love Oscar Isaac so much. And Oscar Isaac is hot in everything, but he is like really <laughs> hot in this. So just, 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 Are you talking about like at the beginning when he's like really charming or when he has the dead eyes? I was, uh, the charming <laughs> part is what I'm really <laughs> referencing. Dead eyes, not yeah. so much. Oh, man. Um, um, I also, the soundtrack, um, I want to call out the soundtrack here. It's the weirdest, like, I would never have put this together, but, like, um, almost the, like, John Denver country music um, yes. songs that they have kind of going yeah. on. It's so good. It and works then, so well. Again, it grounds this ending, movie that is so otherworldly, you know? The score yeah. at that end of the film. Yeah, the score is, is like, I can I can hear it playing right now. It's so, it, it is, there's so many parts of the ending that make it special, but the ending wouldn't be what it is without that music. Honestly, I think the ending of this film is the closest any of us are going to get to when people saw the end of 2001 A Space Odyssey for the first time. It is just, you're just like, what is happening? I don't know where we are. I don't know what we're doing, but I'm here for it. Um, I, I had that same experience with the ending of Annihilation. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, And like, like you said, Lucas, there's so many amazing like personal human themes like that this movie addresses but it's also just like a great sci-fi movie just separate mm -hmm. from that it's a great entertaining thrilling sci-fi movie um and that alone is like worth the price of the ticket so for yeah. sure so that was my number three pick of the year ben what is your number three movie all right my number three pick is hereditary uh the Amer oh. American supernatural <laughs> horror film uh, by first-time director Ari Aster, starring Tony Collette. Um, I, I am almost positive Sandra didn't see this, but Lucas, did you see this? Uh, uh, no, of course no, no, not. No, no, no. Lucas and no. I don't oh. watch movies this scary. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> I read the Wikipedia summary of this movie. <laughs> right. Uh, and had a nightmare, so had, no, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I had my dear friend Lizzie Spano explain to me the plot of this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Um, and I'll just rebrief uh, anyone who hasn't heard about it. Um, uh, Tony Collette's character, Annie Graham, is a miniatures artist who lives with her husband in Utah. Uh, Already too creepy for me. Already <laughs> too, too creepy. 
Um, they, uh, I believe it's her mother that dies. Uh, we begin the, the film with a funeral. Uh, and then uh, things start going weird for the family. Uh, and it just descends into madness. I don't want to give too much away for anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, but I was watching this movie and the thing, this movie is number three on my list because the craft of the film is, uh, second to none. This movie was made so well. Um, it is the closest everybody in, you know, all the film nerds want to be Stanley Kubrick. And I think that Ari Aster, I think he got the closest, uh, this movie feels like Stanley Kubrick directed this film. Uh, it feels like every single shot was crafted by uh, a, an incredible cinematographer. Uh, every frame is feels like it was composed perfectly and with precision and intention. Um, just the just on a filmmaking level, the craft of this film is is it blew me away. Um, it, there's a twist that happens about 20 minutes into the film. Uh, that I didn't see coming. And after that, it just, this film just had me. Um, it takes you all over. Uh, you feel everything. You get very scared. Uh, I normally don't like watching scary movies. Um, but for whatever reason, I was convinced to watch this film, and I'm so glad that I did. Um, it's, it's a scary movie through and through, uh, but it also deals with grief and depression uh, and family relations and uh, how you love the people in your life when you don't know how to love them. Um, it has these, uh, it's really good at what a lot of superior scary movies do, which is sneaking in really human themes uh, into a scary as hell movie. Uh, and it's been talked about Tony Collette, her performance is uh incredible everyone is is talking about how she didn't get nominated for a lead actress and how it was a snub it totally is she's amazing and she does things you think you've seen every like it, everything that tony collette can do even though she's one of our best actresses and she's always changing but she's never done anything like this um the film is beautiful it's scary it's suspenseful it's uh, heartwarming, and then it's just bonkers. So, uh, Hereditary is my number three, and if you can ever get your, either of y'all can ever get yourself in a, in the mood to watch something scary, put this at the top of your list. That'll be a long day away from now. I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm gonna set my watch to never, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah. But I, I trust oh, your opinions, Ben, and I thank you for them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Lucas, what is your number three movie of the year? Okay. Well, back to my rant about us not letting geniuses make original things. Um, my number my number three movie is Widows. Um, Steve McQueen is a master. There is no question about it. I think this is one of the most ambitious movies of the year. He's addressing race. He's addressing gender, poverty, politics, the fear and the pain that comes along with all of that, um, and being on the oppressed side of those issues. It's by no means a perfect movie at all, but it takes one of the biggest swings I have ever seen, and I think that's one of the reasons it didn't land well with everybody. It made $42 million at the box office, which, for context, is less than The Grinch made in its opening weekend. So, yeah, the world is terrible, and we live in a trash pile. Uh, Yeah, I love all the performances in this movie. Um, There's so many people in this movie that are doing excellent work. Um, Brian Tyrese Henry, this is his year for sure, and everything that he's done this year has been uh, phenomenal. I think Elizabeth Debicki is, I think, the the standout star of this movie. Um, not only because she's 
the tallest person, <laughs> but because she truly does, I think, one of the, like, the most amount of work here um, and has one of the best character arcs in this movie. Sandra, did this movie grow in your appreciation at all since you saw it? I wish it did, Lucas. I, I don't oh, think that this movie is, like, bad. I want to make that clear. Like, I didn't dislike this yeah. movie. It's just not one of the best movies of the year for me, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But that's a high, you know, like, that's that's okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this movie, uh, I, I really wanted to love this movie, and instead I really liked this movie. Yeah. Um, and, and I think what, for me, what it did was that it was always simmering and never boiling, which is exactly what Steve McQueen was trying to do. Um, that was the, he, he, all of his films have that tone. It, it, this film definitely felt like the, uh, you know, a film made by the man who made shame. They're in the same wavelength. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what I wanted was I wanted something that he wasn't interested in providing, which was just this like, you know, like redlining full throttle heist movie, which you get, yeah. you get during the heist itself. Um, but for the rest of the film, it's this very, very, uh, you know, quiet character study almost. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's a drama that contains a heist, not a heist yeah. movie. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that, that I think is uh, a failure on the marketing's yeah. part. There's I think it has one of the best trailers of the year though. Sure. Mm -hmm. There's a category. Even if it lies. There's a category of film for me where when I watch a movie where I can tell that this is a good expertly crafted movie that is just not hitting it for me personally. You know what I mean? That like, mm -hmm. while yeah. as I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't moving me. This isn't like going to be a movie that like sticks with me. But as I'm watching it, I know that this is really, really well made and like really good. Right. And I think, yeah. I think that Viola Davis, I mean, it, it, of course she's incredible, but I mean, we talked about her before, but Cynthia Erivo, like, yeah. holy shit. She was my favorite part of this movie. She was so good. <laughs> she is so good. She's incredible in oh, this movie. Yeah. I, yeah, this, this movie pushed all my buttons. I'm so excited that, that we got it this year. Mm -hmm. um, it was my most anticipated movie last right. year mm. of the year. Um, and I'm happy it lived up to the expectations. I mean, you can't so. ask for, like, that's really great. When you're most it's anticipated, true. like, makes yeah. your top ten. Like, that's the best. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. um, well, let's move on to our number two movie of the year. My number two movie of the year is another documentary. It is Free Solo. Um this is a movie, for anyone who's not heard of it, it's a documentary about Alex Honnold, who is a mountain climber who specializes in free solo climbing, which is when you climb a mountain without any harnesses or ropes or hooks. It's literally just like you and your body and you do it by yourself. And if you make a mistake, you fall off the mountain and you die. And that is just the reality of the situation. And so this documentary is a look at um, him trying to, attempting to climb El Capitan, which is in Yosemite. And it's one of like the biggest mountains in the world. And um, it's 3,000 feet tall. It's taller than the Eiffel Tower and the Empire State Building by like a ton. And it's him attempting to climb that um, by free solo. And it's also a look at how he got to where he is, what kind of what kind of person makes free soloing a major aspect of their life. And it's a look at his personal life and how his personal life affects um, or doesn't affect his climbing. Um, this movie is my number two movie of the year 
because for many reasons. One, it was so fascinating to me. Alex Honnold, I think, is a fascinating person. And I'm usually very much not into movies or stories that are like man versus nature. They usually irk me. There's something, there's an ego to them that I've never appreciated. Um, movies like, uh, oh, what's that Emil Hirsch movie that he, the where he goes in, into the wild. Mm. Into the wild. Yeah. yeah. Or 127 Hours or The Revenant or like, or like my dad is a big fan of like these um, National Geographic series of like men trying to climb Everest and like having a hard time at it, you know, and, <laughs> and all of those, all of those are just like really annoy me. I'm not into it. <laughs> uh, it's just like, it's again, it's like this male ego about like, and it, and I, and there, it's all this, there's so much risk, unnecessary risk that like bugs me. And so like this movie is not set up for me to like it, but it's such a like, really interesting look into his psyche about the kind of person that would like to do this as a, that makes this like a main focus of their life. Um, I, I found him, I, I feel like they really look at his decisions and his point of view and his mindset and they don't make a lot of judgments, but they also don't make a lot of excuses. Like they don't hold up his way of thinking or his decisions as if, they're grand or without fault. They really let the audience come to their own conclusions about how they feel about what he's doing with his life and what that means for his loved ones. And I really appreciated that the documentary, like let you do that and let you think about that in really complex ways. Um, the second reason why I loved this film is because the cinematography, the shots of Alex Honnold climbing without a rope, some of the biggest mountains in the world are some of the most thrilling and beautiful shots I've ever seen in film. Mission Impossible has nothing on this movie. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm not joking when I say that. I really mean it. Uh, here's a, a spoiler alert for real life, is that Alex Honnold is still alive. So like you, when you go into the movie, you know that he... You don't see him you know, die. That, that he doesn't <laughs> die while making this movie. And even though you know he's not going to die... You are on the edge of your seat as if he is going to, because the shots and the, the crafting of the film are so thrilling. Um, then the number three reason I love this movie is because um, this film, in addition to like examining Alex and like his journey, is that they also turn the camera on the filmmakers themselves and really go over like, what are the ethics of documentary filmmaking, especially in this instance? What are the ethics of filming someone who's doing something so dangerous? Um, what are the ethics of maybe like you filming him could endanger him more? You know, um, it shows how like tricky and hard it is for them, for these cameramen to film on a mountain. Like they, you have to find cameramen that can climb mountains just as well as like the best mountain climbers in the world in order to keep up with him. You have to find cameramen that are willing to um, watch their friend die if that should happen. Um, it's, it's a fascinating look. And I really appreciate that the documentary like examines that aspect of this story as well, rather than a, pretending that the cameras aren't there, um, that they, that they are made 
the audience well aware of all the struggles of telling this story. Um, I saw this movie twice in theaters, and I would have gone to see it two more times if there were more showing times available to me. I wow. cannot wait to see this movie again. It's one of the movies that I pre-ordered on iTunes the moment I could. Um, I can't wait to see this movie again. It's so, so good. Wow. I am so stressed out, but also kind of <laughs> titillated. I really want to see it. Yeah. yeah. I cannot wait to see this movie. I wish I hadn't missed yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah. And... I, I don't want to rub salt in the wound, but there was something about seeing it in a theater also that made it so special. The first time I saw it was on like a really big screen, really exciting. Um, I actually saw it on a first date, which was kind of a fun experience to see it like with a stranger. Um, and then the second time I saw it was still in a theater, but on a much smaller screen. And for some reason, my screening had like a lot of kids in it that time. Which oh, no. was really interesting. Not like little, little kids, but like probably like middle school or like t 10 to 14 year olds. Um, and that was really interesting to me because um, I, I wouldn't say it's like it's very scary. Like it's it's not a unfriendly movie to kids and that there's nothing like inappropriate technically but it's very scary and so it was fun to watch kids reactions to this film and be in that audience at that time so i would recommend watching it with people get it on the biggest screen that you have available to you and see it as soon as it comes out in march um okay ben what is your number two movie of the year so my number two movie we have already talked about it is spider-man into the spider-verse uh woo, woo. we uh we, we've we said everything that needs to be said about this movie i'll just say i went over christmas to see it with my sister uh we were escaping my family and we saw it in the theater and everybody in the theater had the best time uh and as soon as it was over, I heard so many people, more than one set of people, saying, when's the next showtime? We want to go see this again. Uh, this movie made me fall back in love with movies. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, the colors, the animation, like you said earlier, Sandra, is just incredible. Um, and I think that something that it does really well is that the movie is self-aware. Um, you know, it knows that we've heard the line, with great power comes great responsibility, too many times the movie itself has heard it too many times and i think that <laughs> just the that self-aware aspect i think is uh the next step in movies and comedy specifically um i just i i remember hearing uh roger ebert talking about the time he saw almost famous i think it is for the first time and he said he was just hugging himself the whole time watching the movie that's how i was watching spider-man into the spider-verse i had a great great oh, time man i i only saw it once and i cannot wait to see it again it's so good all right well because we've already talked about that we're gonna keep moving lucas what is your number two movie of the year my number two movie is eighth grade oh. i'm sure it'll show up on other people's <laughs> lists as well in a second but <laughs> um eighth grade elsie fisher deserves every award out there uh i think she is what holds this movie together obviously it's about her but um this is one of the most unique performances and portrayals of an eighth grade girl that i think we've ever seen not to mention like the most authentic uh bo burnham is a 28 year old man who I, when I heard he was making a movie about an eighth grade girl, I did not expect this at all. It's so um, heartfelt and emotional. And I feel like teenage emotion is 
um, a sledgehammer. And many film filmmakers uh, make a point, make it a point of conflict or a joke. But Bo really treats it as what it actually is, which is very real and also fleeting. Um, I feel like he attacks it in a way that says these things that you're feeling are very, 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 very valid, and yet it will not last forever. And I think that is something that is very important for middle schoolers to hear and very important for um, adults to say to middle schoolers. And so having uh, something with a message like that I think is really, really cool to see. I'm very upset that it was rated R and so that middle schoolers couldn't see it. Um, but I'm hoping that uh, people get around that on once it comes to streaming somewhere. So it's actually it's on HBO or not HBO on um, Amazon Prime streaming. So everybody should watch this yeah. movie. Mm. Did you see yeah, this? Ben? I did, um, and I really, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I remember hearing Bo Burnham talk about the idea for this film like four or five years ago uh, on a podcast, and he had been wrestling with this idea of uh, young people growing up right now uh, being trapped by social media is what he was wrestling with at the time, and I think that he's a great person to do that. You know, he he's one of the 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 godfathers of the internet age you know uh being discovered on youtube and i think that he um is such a smart and empathetic person that he looked into the world that he kind of had a really good grip on and he found the least of these and said hey i need you to know that it's going to be okay um and i think that just yeah the empathy that he again empathy coming up is the empathy that he showed to the character um was incredible because there are so many people out there who feel the way that she feels. Um, and to have, you know, those feelings reflected is very important. I think that's one of the great things that cinema can do. Yeah. Um, so I think now is a good time for us to move on to our number one movie of the year <laughs> because yeah. eighth grade is obviously my number one movie of the year. Um, I've, <laughs> I haven't been able to stop praising this movie since I saw it. Um, I tell everyone I come in contact with, like, eighth grade is my favorite movie of the year. It was my favorite movie of the year when I saw it, and it, that hasn't changed. Um, it was also my most anticipated movie of the year, which is really fun that that was fulfilled in such a great way. Um, I, I feel like I've said so much about this movie so that my mind is almost blank now at, like, what I love about it so much because it feels so obvious. But one thing that is... I think is going to be held true is, you know, this movie is very of the current time. You know, I think it does a really good job at explaining what it's like, not just to be an eighth grader, but to be an eighth grader in the year 2018. And so because of that, I think in the future, there'll be a lot of things in this movie that are like very dated that will, that people might not understand. But, um, what I really believe will be the case is that people will look to it not as like, oh, that's dated and it doesn't hold up, but that it's more of this like time capsule of like what 2018 was like. And people will view that with like reverence for how authentic and right this movie got it. Um, I also think that even though it deals with like what it's like to be in this year in this modern age, that it has these universal timeless themes of feeling panic and exclusion and loneliness and um, being a parent and feeling like at a loss of like what to do with your child and, and how to make your child feel loved and being a young woman and feeling like nothing you do is good enough. Um, I think that those are timeless themes that 
to me, this movie is like on the level of like The Breakfast Club, where I could see decades from now people still watching it. Um, teenagers rediscovering it and finding hope and solace in it and seeing themselves in it, even though it's from a time that they don't recognize. Um, I think this movie is really powerful. And the fact that this is Bo Burnham's first feature, the, how good it is doesn't surprise me, but it does bring me so much hope and excitement for what his career is going to look like in film. Um, I, I just think it's so incredible. And if it were up to me, this movie would be nominated in like a billion categories. Um, yeah, I, I, I have a lot, a lot. This movie meant a lot to me and it, and I think it will for a long time. Oh, all right. Let's move on to Ben, your number one movie of the year. All right. My number one movie of the year uh, was a movie that I watched uh, very recently and yet uh, it's gonna be on my. It's gonna be my number one, and it's gonna be my number one for a long time because I think that it is exactly what I want a movie to be, and I think it's the pinnacle of what I think movies can be. Uh, and it's a little movie that I had barely even heard of. Um, it's called Skate Kitchen. Uh, Skate Kitchen is uh, directed, written and directed by Crystal Moselle, who's known uh, for the documentary The Wolf Pack um, that came out a couple years ago. Uh, this is a narrative feature, <clears throat> and it uh, follows a girl named Camille. Uh, she's from Long Island, and she discovers an all-girls skateboard collective based in New York City. Uh, she finds them on Instagram, and she joins them, and it is about her life uh, with this group. I was blown away in a way that um, I haven't felt in a long time from a film. Uh, the authenticity of this movie is incredible. Uh, part of that comes from the writer-director coming from a documentary background, um, knowing how to get great performances out of essentially non-actors. Um, and also I think that it, it is the fact that um, the director is a woman and she has the ability to create and instill empathy and trust in a way that I think that, that male directors don't know how to do or just can't. Um, the dialogue is frank and it's real. The fashion in this movie is incredible. And the skating is real. These girls kick ass. They're so good. Um, and I think another thing that this movie does uh, well is it, it captures the best part of cinema, which is the combination of visuals uh, and, uh, and sounds. The movement, the fact that this is a skateboard collective. Uh, the, a lot of the film was shot... They shot on the uh, Alexa Mini and they put it on skateboards and they just followed these skaters down through skate parks, down through ramps, all around. And you fly throughout this movie. Um, you glide, you fly, everything is beautiful. Um, they basically just shot it uh, with natural light um, and the sun illuminates these actors uh, and it makes every single shot beautiful. Um this movie, uh, it, I, I believe it, it, it's been compared to the movie Kids from the 90s, um, just in terms of, you know, an authentic depiction of young people in New York. Um, Kids, you know, launched the career of Harm Harmony Corinne. Uh, it was Larry Clark's directorial debut. Um, it had, you know, Chloe Sevigny. It had uh, Ro uh, Rosario Dawson. Uh, had a lot... Uh, it was, it was a really big landmark film, and I think that the fact that that movie got made in the 90s is an achievement. Um, 
But I think that this movie stands up to kids um, in that there, first of all, there's no sexual violence, which is great. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> technically, it, you know, it's handled well. There's even a Chloe Sevigny looking lookalike character in this movie, um, one of the skaters. And so you get everything that kids gives you and you also get more you get more beauty you get more empathy and you get jaden smith yes let's go um this film uh you wait do we like jaden smith oh, yeah. uh <laughs> whether or not you like him uh in this film it could go either way and the film will serve okay. you either way yeah truly. Uh, <laughs> yeah and uh i think this film for me, it gave me everything that I wanted. It gave me beautiful visuals. It gave me authentic characters. It gave me uh, a sense of being in, in a completely different, unfamiliar yet recognizable world that I didn't know, but I knew existed. It felt completely of tw- of the moment. Um, and one other thing that I really loved about it was that it handled technology in a, the most authentic way I'd ever seen on screen. Um, these girls find each other over Instagram. A lot of their drama goes online is, is because of Instagram and, and all these different social media platforms. And I think that a lot of movies are trying to figure out what to do with all of that. Uh, and Skate Kitchen just handles it effort, effortlessly. Um, this was This movie made me feel so good. Um, and I just, I, I can't stop telling people about it. Did either of y'all get to, a chance to see it? I did not see it. It's definitely one that I'm going to need to now. Yeah, you really should, Lucas. I I love this movie, Ben, for a lot of the same reasons I love 8th Grade and that you kind of described is that, one, the way they handle technology into the plot of the film and into just like the natural use and language that these teenagers have just feels right. It doesn't feel like some, like, 35-year-old or 40-year-old adult, adult, like, is trying to figure out how teens work. It feels natural and lived in and authentic. And then the other reason I love this movie is just the dialogue and the way these teenagers, or and some of them are, like, young adult teenagers. It's a little bit of a mix. Um, the way they speak to each other feels so real. There, It doesn't feel like a script that is written. It feels like you're watching conversations naturally played out. There's an awkwardness. There's a looseness. There's um, a familiarity, a jovial sense to the, to the way that they all speak to each other that just feels so good. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's this movie is like, it's emotional and it's interesting, but it's like, on top of all of that, it's just cool. Like these people are yes. cool. It's punk rock. It's <laughs> uh, every outfit that the main character wears. I'm like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and She's so great. And it's also, it's what's so fun about it is that like on one level, these are like some of the coolest people you'd be so afraid to talk to because they're so cool. Yes. And yet at the same mm-hmm. time, these characters have moments where they're like really awkward and they're like making very simple dumb mistakes that like as an adult you're like why did you do that that's so silly that you made that dumb mistake but you made that dumb mistake because you're 18 and you don't know any better and um and that's so endearing and 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 very real and so that's another reason why i loved it i uh i became obsessed with this this filmmaker 
um, Crystal Moselle um, and found out that she discovered this whole skate collective, which is actually called Skate Kitchen. Um, she was riding on the subway in New York and she heard these girls talking and was like, oh, they sound really cool. I wonder what they, you know, what they're up to. And she found out they were in a skate collective. Isn't that, she, isn't that literally the, how she f- discovered the wolf pack? Like just. Yeah. Yeah. She has an incredible gut and an incredible ear for what yeah. a good story and what a good film would be. Um, and she made a short with them and then she made this feature. And as I was watching this movie, um, the reason why I knew it was going to be my number one was that I had this simultaneous feeling as a filmmaker where I was so jealous that this movie existed. And also I felt no jealousy because I was in such awe that it was made, yeah. that it was real and that I could watch this thing. I want to, I want to give a special shout out to Nina Moran. She's one of the actresses that plays like the lesbian character in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She's like such a standout, I think into this film. Um, and I like every moment she was on screen, she like made me laugh. She made like, I couldn't keep my eyes off her. I was like, it was incredible. So riveted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's the the Chloe Sevigny lookalike, and she she's hilarious, uh, and she's vulnerable, and she's like, yeah, she's everything. Yeah. she's so great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and on top of that, like, there other than Jaden Smith, there's not a single actor in this that I recognize, and right. that is so refreshing and cool to see an entire new crop of talent, um, mm-hmm. and like I really and, uh, hope to see them in more things in the future. Yeah, a lot of these girls were are skaters and models. Like that's who they are. They're not actors, and and now they have these promising careers ahead of them because they've shown that they can do it and they can do it really well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my number one. How, Skate Kitchen. How awesome. Go see it. All right, let's finish this off, Lucas. What's your number one movie of the year? My number one movie of the year came out at the beginning of last year as well. Um, it is Paddington Two. Yes. This movie is simply perfect. It is storytelling at its finest. It is unlike most of the movies that came out this year and that are on my list, um, meaning it is nice <laughs> and inspiring. I think I have a lot of the same things to say about this as I do about Spider-Man. Um, just it makes you want to be a better person. Um, the kindness and love shown by all of the characters in this movie is stunning. Hugh Grant gives the performance of his career. Um, it's the production design is beautiful, and as far like as far as kids' movies go, um, I feel like it gives a great message, but also it is just a great movie too. Like it is entertaining, and it's truly a fun mystery. Um, I have have you guys seen this movie? We haven't talked about this at all. Have you guys seen? This oh movie? yeah. Okay, just making sure this movie is brilliant. Um, I love everything about it. If if you're kind and polite, the world will be right. I think is one of the best quotes in the world. I love it. I I I will be watching this movie forever. <laughs> Lucas, I just misheard you, and I know that you said if you're kind and polite, but it sounded like you said if you're kind of polite. <laughs> if you're kind of polite, the world will yeah. be right. <laughs> Which is what yeah, I it's the best by. we can that's do my, right now. That's yeah. My <laughs> yeah. Kind of as long as you're kind oh, that of makes polite. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie is like. One of the best, like, visual feasts of all the films I saw this Mm -hmm. year. And it is, like, a crying shame that it didn't get a Best Production nomination at the Oscars this morning. Oh, Um, yes. I've never seen something so specifically designed and uh, colorful and lovely. And, yeah, it's – there's a lot of reasons to love this movie, but that's my number one reason. I – uh. 
I saw this tweet by Kevin Porter this morning about Paddington, and I need to read it because it's just incredible. He said, uh, he was talking about the Oscar nominations. He says, Paddington sits at home watching the Oscar noms announced, genuinely delighted for all his friends. He texts them all congratulations and how excited he is for them. The forgetful little bear didn't even realize he was eligible for any awards. It doesn't matter, though. He's happy. Ugh. That's very, that's it's very true. fitting. He's perfect. Um, all right, so those are our top tens. Do y'all know how many movies you watched this year that were released in 2018? Yes, I watched 51. That's really great. Um, I watched 34. Well, my I ended up watch. I had a goal of a hundred because last year I watched 75, and. I ended up watching 105 movies this year. At a girl, Sandra. Wow. Woo! Yes. Yeah. Also, um, I just hit publish on my list of the year where I not I didn't just pick out a top 10. I ranked all 105. So if you go Ooh, onto my letterbox. Um, headed there now. There is a list of the 105 movies that I saw this year in a ranked order. Now, and that's and that's movies that you that came out yeah, that's, in 2018. That's, that's just out. not even right. all the movies you watched this year. I watched more movies year. that like didn't come out in 2018. Um, but of the I'm 2018 so... movies, though, they're all ranked 105 of them. Um, it was a lot of movies, and I won't be doing that this coming year. <laughs> this I'm <laughs> I'm excited to see all of them, and also what 105 was. Yeah, yeah, yes. that'll be what you scroll down to at the very beginning. Um, I, y'all are ha- oh, happy to look at this. I'd love to hear any like first reactions to my list. If anything surprises you, um, I'll also be posting this on my Instagram. So if you follow me on Instagram or on Letterbox, you can see this list in full. Um, I'm surprised that you didn't like Abiza more. Oh yeah. Or Oceans Eight. Although I mean, it makes sense. But... I'm shocked you watched Robin Hood. Yeah, that was really disappointing. I. I'm obsessed with Taron Edgerton, and I still didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. That was like... And I see how low you have Bohemian Rhapsody, and I'm going to have to watch it. You don't now. have to watch <laughs> it. Can I... Oh, I want to... I, I do, do want to take this time to say, I feel a lot of guilt about watching Bohemian Rhapsody because, um, one, it's bad, but two, because I make a point to try to avoid films that are made with, like, credibly alleged abusers, um... And at the time when I saw it, I knew that Brian Singer had been fired, um, but I didn't realize that he was still getting like a directed by credit. And yeah, and, I assumed he was not getting that yeah. credit. And so but. that was like the only way I kind of like justified seeing it. Mm. And I also didn't pay for it. My parents did because my parents wanted to see it. And so I went with them. <laughs> and so, but now I do feel guilty that like I inadvertently supported a film that he is involved with and um yeah that just kind of sucks so i would i would recommend people don't watch bohemian rhapsody i would recommend them just listen to queen music i think that is a much better (laughs) use of your time um yeah yeah so that's my my list of 105 movies um next year i don't have a movie goal i'm just gonna watch whatever i want to watch and I'm sure it'll still be a lot, but I'm not going to be striving to make a number. Dang. You got some trash on here. Here's, here's, <laughs> but what I will say is that while I saw a lot and there was some stuff that wasn't very good, um, seventy number 75 and up are all movies I ranked I rated three and a half stars or higher. 
So I was gonna say, yeah. So the, looking at these, the, these are all pretty good. The majority of the films are ones that I think are really worth checking out. Okay, so yeah, so now that we've talked about our top tens, let's take a look at our honorable mentions. So what things barely didn't make the list for you, Sandra? Let's start with you. Um, one or two movies that are just like right there on the cusp. Yeah. So my, I'm just gonna read off real quick my eleven, twelve. My 11 through 15, which are Vox Lux. I said, okay, five movies. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to talk about them. Um, okay. <laughs> Leave No Trace, If Beale Street Could Talk, Mission Impossible Fallout, Mining the Gap. Oh, and one more, A Star is Born. A Star is Born holds a very special place in my heart. I think that movie has a lot of issues, but it has also a lot of magic. And so I had a hard time not putting it higher, but I also couldn't justify putting it higher. Yeah. Ben, how about you? All right. Uh, four of my honorable mentions were Annihilation, uh, Black Panther, uh, the documentary Whitney, and mm. Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here. That came in at yeah. number 11. Nice. Um, well, since we're reading a bunch, uh, my <laughs> my honorable mentions are Can You Ever Forgive Me, Mission Impossible Fallout, The Favorite, Star is Born, and Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, those were. I, I, it was a good year yeah. for movies. It really was. I'm very happy about it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So all, all that to say, there were some movies that were absolutely terrible this year. Um. I feel pretty is one of them. <laughs> um. We're gonna so, talk about well, it. Yeah, we are. What are you gonna say is your most disappointing movie of the year? One you had high expectations for, or maybe minimal expectations for, but it really disappointed you when you went and saw it. So I'll. I'll take this i'll jump off because we've already started talking about it i am gonna talk about i feel pretty uh (laughs) just because i was so pumped i'm a big amy schumer fan i saw the trailer and i was like what a really great comedy with busy phillips and michelle williams doing that weird ass voice this is gonna be great and i could not believe how horrible I thought this movie was. (laughs) I just thought the script was not only predictable, but just bad. I thought the comedy fell flat. Um, I thought that everything was cliche in the worst way from taking a, a, you know, flipping a coin into a fountain to the end monologue at the fashion shoot or whatever it was. I just, I fell asleep, woke up, rewound it, and then wished I wouldn't have done that. I could not get on board with this movie, (laughs) even though I'm still a big Amy Schumer fan. Um, I just thought that it was so all over the place and my expectations were so high because I laughed really hard at the trailer. Um, I just, I couldn't forgive this movie. I mean, I just have to say that this is coming from someone who put Vice in his top 10. So we'll just, <laughs> oh, we'll just live with that. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Oh, man. Well, my disappointing, my most disappointing movie of 2018 was uh, The Predator. I love Shane Black. Um, I, let me back up. I love Shane Black's movies. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, the cast is incredible. I, it's, it's, I mean, it's. I I thought it was going to be fantastic. I really did think it was going to be a return to form for fun action movies, um, throwback to the '80s, and it was very very bad. It was not a good movie at all. It was terrible, um, and I am very upset about it. I'm sad that Keegan Michael Key couldn't save that movie. Yeah, he was one of the worst parts of it. it I was very upset about it. <laughs> um, Ugh, it was terrible. Well, mine is very easy. It's Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, this is a yeah. movie that like could have been great. Like there's so many 
elements of this movie that are like right, you know? Um, I think the casting is great. I think Rami Malek is a great actor who does give a good performance. Um, I think like the story, like obviously I want a great film about Freddie Mercury. That's like a no brainer. Um, I think the trailer was really good. And so I had some high hopes for this material and yeah, it's just one of the worst movies of the year. I think it's really bad here. And I haven't talked a lot about why I think this movie is bad. Um, I think this movie, there are parts of it that make trick you into thinking it's a good movie because Queen <laughs> songs are great. So the m scenes where they're playing and writing Queen songs are fun because Queen is fun. Mm -hmm. Like, and you're like, yeah, this is fantastic because the music is so good. But everything else in this movie, there's no connective tissue. Every scene feels like it would be the scene from a trailer for this movie. It doesn't feel like there's there's no meat on the bones. Um, and everything's cliched. And I'm not even going to get started on how this movie depec depicts like gay male romance and sexuality because it really doesn't depict it. And um, yeah, so there's just a lot wrong with it. And it's sad because there's a lot right with the source material. Well... Moving out of Bummertown, um, <laughs> let's let's talk about our most surprisingly enjoyable movie of 2018, Sandra. Okay, so there was a movie that I've already talked about on this podcast. Everyone that I heard said it was bad. One person said it was great. I was like, well, I am interested. And that movie was Vox Lux, and it almost made my top 10 of the year. Um, Vox Lux is number 11 on my list. I loved every second of it. It is crazy. I don't like think people are wrong or bad for thinking this movie is bad, but I think this movie is great. And it, <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about it after I saw it. And I'm still listening to the soundtrack. So that movie really surprised me with how much I yes. loved it. That, All right. I, uh, I'm excited to see it. it's been on my list. And, uh, everybody's saying that Natalie Portman just keeps kicking it up a gear. I can't wait to see yeah. it. Yeah. Well, Ben, what's your most surprisingly enjoyable movie of 2018? Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I was surprised by Skate Kitchen, and that's why it's my number one. I was surprised by Ready Player One, just because I didn't expect anything. Um, surprised in such a weird... This is going to be a weird surprise. Not, like, happy surprise, but just, hap um, just like, <laughs> weird surprised. Um, I recently watched uh, First Reformed, and I was so... Ooh. I was so impressed with um, this film in terms of cinematography, in terms of the subject matter, in terms of the weirdness. Uh, the performances are great. Amanda Seyfried comes out and gives this like out of left field, very, very tame, but very pointed performance. Uh, Ethan Hawke is amazing, of course. But I just thought that um, the dealing with uh, the themes of... Um, faith and stewardship and activism and uh you know hope versus hopelessness um i was so surprised that it was handled so well um and it's it is a bummer of a movie it is a very you know heavy movie but i think the script was so great and i think that at the end it is hopeful when you think about it and when you like you know, get past the fact that Amanda Seyfried is like 30 years younger than Ethan Hawke. Uh, yeah. 
once you get past that, it ends on a hopeful note, and I think that was really great. And I was really surprised. So that was my most surprise. That's great. Um, mine is a much lighter film. Uh, the movie that surprised me the most in 2018 was Game Night. Um, I had pretty low expectations for this movie, and it is the movie that I rewatched the most in 2018. It is fantastic. It's so much fun. Everybody in it is, you know, acting in a in a in a way that I haven't seen most of them act before. Rachel McAdams is perfect in this movie. Um, she's hilarious, and she needs to be in more things. It's so good. I want to give a quick shout out to like Game Night and Blockers for being two yes. like incredibly well crafted, thoroughly entertaining, like bold comedies. You know, just like movies you want to watch over and over, movies you want to put on for a group of friends. Um, Game Night, Blockers, and Eighth Grade are all movies that I watched three times this year because couldn't get enough of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were great. All right. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of the movies that came out in 2018, um, and what happened today is eight movies got nominated for Best Picture. They are Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. So there are two slots open that they could have used and decided not to. So if you were going to fill those two slots, what would they be, Sandra? I think I'd have to go with Eighth Grade and Annihilation. Eighth grade was like a hands down choice for me. I think it's, I think yep. it's, it's already in the Oscar conversation. It's, in the Oscar conversation. it's definitely it's my something favorite movie that could of the year, of course. Then I had a mm-hmm. hard time choosing between Beale Street and Annihilation, but I'm gonna go with Annihilation just because I think it's like innovative and it's a sci-fi movie, and we don't have enough of those. I think get nominated for Best Picture, and um, and it's excellent. Yeah. All right, Ben. Yeah. Um. I'll I'll pick up the slack. I'll say I would nominate if Beale Street could talk um because it was in my top 10 uh and i'd also say annihilation just because i think what it does for uh cinema is it's it's a b movie but it's also more than that and the ending is so incredible i think the ending should go in some sort of history book and that history book should be the academy awards (laughs) well i'm gonna go wild and say eighth grade for sure um (laughs) And Widows, guys, Widows should have been in this Oscar conversation, and I'm crying about it, but guys, Widows is good. Ugh. <laughs> it is good. Oh, well. No. <laughs> At one point, I did think that Widows might be in Oscar contention somewhere in here, and the fact that it's completely shut out uh, hurts my heart a lot. Yeah. But Well, Eighth Grade got an Annihilation also got completely shut out. All of these movies <laughs> yeah. got, well, except True. for Beale Street. Beale True. Street got a few. But, got a few, um, yeah. A lot of completely yeah. shut yeah. out. It's a yeah. sad day. Um, but so eighth or not eighth grade. Widows was my most anticipated movie of 2018 and it uh, it nailed it for me. Um, so guys, moving into 2019, what is your most anticipated movie that's going to come out this year? Well, um, I have several. Um, you know, you could you could talk about, you know, the upcoming Quentin Tarantino movie. You could talk about the upcoming Jordan Peele movie. Uh, we I'm won't gonna... talk about the upcoming Jordan Peele movie. We are not seeing that movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Neither it do looks will. terrifying. Um, it looks absolutely terrifying. Yeah, so that's looking <laughs> great. Um, I got a shout out to my man, Linklater. I'm excited about his uh, Cape Planchette vehicle, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, that's coming out. Yes. That's, that's going to be so fun. And I don't know anything about it. I know it's been a big hit as a book, but I don't know anything about it. And I think that it, uh, it could be a really fun movie. So I'm looking forward to that. But what I'm really looking forward to 
is gay Taron Edgerton as Elton John in Rocket Man. Let's go. <laughs> I've been waiting for this my whole life. There have been interviews where Taron Edgerton <laughs> says that there are gay sex scenes and that he gets into it. So I'm stoked. Uh, can't wait. I, I can't wait for all the press. Can't wait to see more of his beautiful face. Can't wait to hear more of his beautiful singing voice. They're going to get my money just because he's in it, and I don't even care. Yeah. I'm so excited about I'm Rocket holding Man. hope that this doesn't do – that this fills what I wanted Bohemian Rhapsody to fill in my heart. I have a feeling that it's going to do the same thing that Bohemian Rhapsody did to us, but I, 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 I just – I'm hoping it will. They keep coming back. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Um. This was a really hard thing for me to pick because there's a lot that I'm really excited about next year. Uh, a lot of like big tentpole stuff. Like there's the, you know, Avengers Endgame. There's the the third Star Wars film. There's Greta Gerwig's like Little Women. Like there's a lot of like big movies that are seem really up my alley. But I have to trust my gut on this one. And the one that I'm most excited about is... Um, Knives Out, directed by Ryan Johnson. Oh, yes! Yeah. Yeah. That's mine! Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this movie sounds so amazing. First of all, I love Ryan Johnson. I just think Ryan Johnson is one of the most exciting filmmakers of our generation. Um, but let me read to you this cast. We got Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Lakeith Stanfield, Anna de Armas, um, who is the, the girl in Blade Runner 2049, Michael Shannon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, Christopher Plummer, and my dream boy, Raul Castillo. Um, <laughs> what? That is wild. Yeah. Yes. Johnson yes. Has and it's a murder he, mystery. This is his quote. Johnson has described this as his contemporary version of the locked door mansion murder mystery. I My my jaw is on the floor yeah. right now. Oh. Um, so, oh my he's God. the new Agatha Christie. Yeah. It's happening. We're doing yeah. this. And so like, <laughs> The genre sounds amazing. The cast sounds amazing. The talent and the mind of Ryan Johnson. I just, like, I'm so excited for God, this. going to be amazing. Yeah, I agree. The reason it's mine is because the one that I actually picked got pushed back oh. recently to, to 2020. Was <laughs> um, I was, I, I'm extremely excited for Chaos Walking. Um, which is a adventure sci-fi movie um, written by Charlie Kaufman and um, Patrick Ness. Uh, it's based off Patrick Ness's novel um, of the same name. It stars Tom Holland, um, Daisy Ridley, Cynthia Erivo, David Oyelowo, uh, Nick Jonas, and Mads Mikkelsen. Oh. So it's going to be great, but <laughs> it's now in 2020. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, I uh, and it's directed by Doug Lyman, who's hit or miss, but I like a lot of his stuff. So uh, we'll see. I and I love that y'all are so excited about Ryan Johnson. If we were gonna talk about shorts that came out this year, uh, he directed LCD Sound Systems' "Oh Baby" music video, starring Sissy oh, Spacek yeah. and David Strathairn. Yeah, and it's better than a lot of like feature link movies, and it's like out. five minutes long. <laughs> it's a sci-fi, really beautiful good. human story. It's incredible. Go check uh, it. Man. I will. Guys, I have so much fun talking about movies. It, this is one of my favorite episodes of the year. 2018 was an excellent year in film. 
I it's I'm really and I'm also really pumped for 2019. So um, as we move closer to Oscar season, we will continue to talk about what's going on um, in the Oscar race. Um, but I think that wraps it up for us today. Let's tell the people where we, where they can find you online. Well, I'm Sandra Amstutz, and all of my social media handles are at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A M S T U T Z. Like I said, this my list of all my movies ranked is going to be on my letterbox. And I am at Ben Weaver 27 across the board, and you can always find me at HEB on Monday nights. Boom. I, I'm Lucas Wright. I am um, everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Check me out on Letterboxd. That's where I'll have my lists going up. Um, and hit us back next. Oh, you can find us every. Uh, you can find us together at feelingitpod at gmail.com and on Twitter at feelingitpod. We will see you guys later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yep. Move it along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 